0: 106 miles to Chicago, we got a full tank of
1: gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it.
2: And this guy's now been arrested and he has quite a little rap sheet. He's got a past arrest for DWI, Marijuana burglary. So he's not a good guy and he's been fired from his job. Look at the
3: kind of shit he's wearing.
4: Look
1: at. She took my hat. Wearing this, this hat to me.
3: Groups I have a freedom
1: of speech are- to wear this hat. This
3: f- freedom of speech is genocide, homeboy.
1: It doesn't matter. Is that what you're trying Thy to represent? Freedom of speech allows me to wear that hat. This is mine. You do not get to take other people's property that's legally theirs in this country.
5: Men, f- your laws.
4: Attacked on his school bus for wearing a Make America Great Again hat. You can see him there. Um, and guess who was suspended after all this? The victim.
6: You wanna
7: fill a wall?
4: The video shows classmates shoving the 12-year-old St. Louis boy while yelling at him for supporting the president. His outraged
6: mother says she is horrified. I found being berated and bullied and beat, literally beat, because he feels strongly about the world today. God, doing this, to the world, what the is wrong with people, what
3: is wrong with you? You are a horrible
8: Human
3: you are human being. You oh, you're, you you're a horrible human being.
9: you're
6: a You're a horrible human being. I hope you go home and you feel yourself. what? You're a being a racist. you <laughs> First of all, it was like a male feminist came and stomped
5: on my hand. I was trying to get your hat because he threw your hat. He
1: took my hat. That was right off my-
3: Whoa, ah.
5: oh my. I can't open my f-ing
9: eyes
0: oh my God I
3: wear
6: a that's
8: 22 year old Eugene Joseph posting on Instagram just after he said he was verbally attacked and threatened inside this cheesecake factory in the dayland Mall Sunday where he was celebrating Mother's Day with his girlfriend and family Joseph is a huge fan of President Donald Trump and was wearing his usual red make America great again hat
9: I'm
5: right, this is Lou Benninger, and if you uh, found us, congratulations. This is all new out here for the second week in a row. We're at No Hostages Radio, and we're broadcasting from up in Northern California in what we call the State of Jefferson. It's one of 24 counties up here in the North State that are hoping to divide off and and start a new state, smaller government, more freedom, a lot more rights, uh, enforcing our constitutional rights. So we're up here in Yuba County. Maybe you've never heard of us. You may be listening from over there in Idaho, where a lot of refugees from California have fled, or Nevada, or Washington, or all these other states. Down in Texas, we got people even down in Texas now that used to be up here in Northern California. And uh, so welcome, and we're going to be here for, oh, two to three hours. We're still kind of sorting out the timing. We're still sorting out the technology But we got one episode up uh, on the website, nohostagesradio.com, and we're working on the apps, and uh, we got the Google app going, and we're working on iTunes, so you should be able to connect pretty soon, maybe the next week or so off your phones going into your uh, podcast store or menu, whatever you want to call it. So uh, if you're new to this, <clears throat> we did about five or six years of live radio, AM, FM radio, where we used to broadcast on Saturday mornings, nine to noon, and uh, and then we decided to go to a podcast. So this is our second go around, and I'm just uh, trying to get my mic volume up a little bit, my earphones, so... Uh, we talk about cultural issues, political issues, and a lot of what we talk about uh, because we're a local radio station when we when we broadcast up here uh, we talk about local issues and so we may or may not lose you on a couple of things but I think the principles like higher taxes we're facing in California if you've you've probably heard the rumors or the the horror stories of taxes and regulations in California. But usually what starts in California ends up being adopted throughout the United States, which I'm not encouraging that. I'm just saying that happens a lot. So when we talk about fighting a tax issue here in Northern California or in our county, it may, uh, you may be next over there in Idaho or Nevada, hoping you're not, or the restrictions on guns or taking your straws away from you, or if you, or how much, how large of a drink you can get, like a soda. Or maybe here we can't get bags at grocery stores unless we purchase them. There's a lot of rules in California now that are bizarre. They may be coming your way. I hope not. But so we may be talking about a fight we're having over here, and you can just say, "Uh uh-oh, I can't believe. In fact, I had somebody, I wrote an article for the Territorial Dispatch uh, this last week, And it talked about some of the uh, changes in our school systems on sex ed, and these guys were listening or reading it down in Missouri, and uh, they were shocked, and they were they were speaking about it in this area of Missouri. So, uh, if I didn't say this is Lou Benninger, and I'm sitting here with Tanner, who's keeping me out of the technological ditch today, and uh, I just want to uh, tell you that you can listen to this if you're not like some of my friends are new to podcasts they said Lou how do I how do I do that what station do I get to that on and I had to explain it to him so uh, I want to mention this is a local issue but it's happening everywhere and we have a big homelessness problem here in California and a judge or judges um, a couple judges I think in not just California but in the western states I think one over in Boise Idaho came up with the idea that if a person, you know, it used to be if you just uh, started sleeping on the streets or using the streets for your bathroom or uh, whatever you wanted to do, shoot drugs on the streets, uh, the police would not allow that. And there were rules in in where I live, Marysville, where you couldn't camp in the city limits. You couldn't just throw down a sleeping bag uh, and sleep anywhere you wanted But a judge came up with the idea that the local government, he ruled, uh, could not uh, enforce those kind of laws unless they provided an alternative place for people uh, that did not have a home uh, to live in, uh, unless you provide an alternative place for them to go. Now, what he didn't say is you had to provide an alternative place, say, if there were 700 of them in your area. You didn't have to provide an alternative place for all 700, which seems very odd to me. If you're going to have to provide some place for somebody, why wouldn't a judge say this is just going to have to be socialism? In other words, that the government is going to have to provide a place for everyone to go who doesn't already have a place provided by themselves. Kind of odd, right? So now what's happening if you're seeing photographs or videos On the internet, however, you're getting your information, you're seeing thousands of tents and shanties and uh, tarps strung up in trees along riverbanks, under freeways, everywhere, uh, with people living everywhere, dumping their garbage out, using, uh, in fact, in San Diego, I believe in LA, they've been having hepatitis. I don't know, it's hepatitis B or C or both breakouts, infections, rates because of the uh, feces left around and not not taking care of your business properly. And so it's a big problem. And and, you know, it's interesting, the environmentalists make a big issue, which I I'm I'm with them on some of these things of uh, not polluting, not pouring chemicals in our streams, or our lakes or wherever, but properly processing the waters we use whether it's water coming out of our home or dishwashers or clothes washers or whatever but then we we allow what's happening is uh, homeless folks are just dumping stuff in the river so i ran across this we have uh our two rivers that come through our two counties here in northern california called yuba and sutter counties and we have two rivers that meet and then flow on down towards the San Francisco Bay. They merge and go on into the Sacramento River, and then they make it on to San Francisco Bay. And uh, <clears throat> there's good fishing and uh, people swim in those rivers, etc. So at one of the, uh, the river bank parks, it's called Riverfront Park, in fact, between Marysville and Yuba City, uh, for years the old boat ramp was uh, not maintained by the city. And so with public pressure, the boat ramp was dredged out and started up again. So a guy posted on Facebook the other day, I'll just read it, and I don't know, I, I'm going to make a, a point about the principle of the thing. I don't know whether everything is, is exactly the way, there's only, this is only one side of the story, but... It's a problem. So I'm going to read this, and and then I'm going to make some comments about it for you. So he says, so today at noon I launched my boat in Marysville Riverfront Park as I weaved through all the homeless trailers and campsites and trash on the way to the boat ramp. After a couple hours of fishing with my girlfriend, I came back to a $250 ticket by the Marysville Police Department for refusal to pay parking and launch fees uh, so what happened is we we got the the government uh, to dredge out this boat ramp so people could put their jet skis in or go fishing, you know, get access to the river. And it and they did it. It was beautiful. It's great. So the then the question was, well, how do we keep this thing clean? How do we keep it maintained? And so there was a small charge and I, I can't quote you the charge, but it's it's minimal to launch down there and uh so they have a way that you pay so what this guy says or this lady said i guess it's a guy he says uh he got a 250 and fifty dollar ticket by the police department for refusal to pay parking and launch fees uh so he considers unfair to me i'm a hard-working citizen that doesn't trash the river bottoms and this is an atrocity i will not pay this merit this uh fee especially when nothing is being done about our illegal overnight camping problem down at the boat ramp both in yuba and marysville yuba city marysville and along the river and etc so here's here's that where i agree with him i don't know whether what he's saying is exactly factual it sounds like he's admitting to not paying the fee to put the boat in the water which you either use the boat ramp and pay or you don't use the boat ramp so there was a small fee i don't think it was too high so he says, I didn't use it. And he got a $250 ticket. Okay. He, he, he knew what he was doing, but, the he, but so the photo of his truck has a ticket under the windshield wiper, but right, right behind it, the background is loaded with, uh, he, he, there's campers, there's homeless campers and everything else. So the, his point is, Hey, if the police and the sheriff's department is not going to enforce the law, on people dumping stuff in the river and people camping along the river and people not using proper toilet facilities, then why would they, why do I have to obey the law? Right. And it's an interesting argument. Uh, I think if, if we're going to use certain facilities and the, and the taxpayer paid to fix them up, we ought to all have a way the users ought to pay uh, for instance, I don't use the boat ramp, so uh, I'm willing to help get it started. But why should I pay for it the rest of my life? So to me, the users ought to pay for it. So he's refusing to do that. And his excuse is, hey, if the if the homeless people are going to stay down there for free and park for free, why should I have to pay to park? I think he has a point. And so it brings up the, the greater point is why should certain people in our society be able to ignore the law and and walk away from the law? and get off and cause uh basically anarchy and other people have to obey the laws and pay everybody else's way. I think the guy makes a good point. I haven't talked to the police department yet about it, but I I don't think there's any question the guy admits he didn't pay the fee, so then he got a worse fee. And uh so I don't know whether any any other folks are going down there. My concern at this point with all the Folks that are living out and about a, a lot of them are criminals and they're on drugs and and they're breaking into vehicles uh, and it's it's a big problem so i would I would be afraid of leaving my vehicle down there and even my trailer in a situation like that so i don 't know whether anybody else is is uh, having those kind of problems if you are i'd like to know about it and and learn about it, and you can reach me a couple of ways. One way, which is new because we're doing this uh, website at uh, nohostagesradio.com, you could reach me. You can go to the website, nohostagesradio.com, and just uh, contact with me off the website with your comments. Or you could just, on your email, you could just put lou, L-O-U, at nohostagesradio.com. Or you could dial me up and you could text me, 530 one eight three, eight that's five three zero seven one three one eight three eight, and uh, I'd like to hear from you if you're having problems down there in the river bottoms, and if you're getting ticketed or if you're using the boat ramp and you're upset like this guy is and making an excuse, I'm not gonna follow the law if we're not gonna allow or we're not gonna force everybody else to follow the law. I don't know what you think about that. I ran across this other item that I think is interesting because I don't think they're teaching this in school anymore. Like some people, when when you ask them, what kind of a government do we have in America? A lot of them will say a democracy. And if you say, well, what what is a democracy? They might say something like, well, we, we can vote, right? As opposed to in a dictatorship or a communist country where they say they vote, but then they claim that 99% of the people all voted one way, which... That's sort of a statistical impossibility, but a lot of people would say, uh, particularly young people, would have a shot. They'd say democracy is well, we all have a say, we all have a vote, uh, we go to the polls, and that's that's what a democracy is. And then some people would say, well, no, really, we what we have is a republic. Uh, that that the founding fathers designed a constitutional republic. So here's a very simple uh, way. Kind of a cool way to think of it It says in a democracy, the majority rules. Right. So recently we had a tax. uh, uh, The government here wanted to raise the sales taxes from seven point two five percent in the state of California. That's the base rate. They wanted to add one percent on in Yuba County to make it eight point two five percent. So they claimed that the way they presented this tax, they only had to have a majority vote. In other words, 50% of the people had to agree to this plus one person. That's all. And so 49, less than 49, or almost 50% could say no, and they still lose. So you just it's not 51%, it's 50% plus one person. And all that one person could go either way, and, uh, and it changes the dynamics 100%. So it says in a democracy, the majority rules. So in measure, the, the recent measure we had to raise taxes, the sales taxes, the government claimed they just needed 50% plus one. And the opposition to that claim, no, you needed a two thirds uh, vote of the people to change uh, the sales tax. So they're arguing that out in court. But if you think, uh, maybe you're really for this majority rule thing. Well, let me let me just see how this sets with you. In a in a democracy, this person wrote, "The majority rules," you, and I think we'd all agree to that. If the majority decided they wanted to take your bike, then they could take it. So it's v- as simple as that. In a democracy, if they if fifty percent plus one person votes in the city of Marisol that all the houses need to be painted orange. Uh, then they get it. In other words, just that they get whatever they want. They can take your money, they could take they could say you can't have you can't use water outdoors because we're going to we're going to conserve water. They can make any rule they want. Uh you could only have one car. You got to park it in a garage. You know, they can make any any decision they want with just 50% plus 1. But that's not what the founding fathers wanted and they knew that that was Uh, that was not going to work and it was going to be disastrous uh, outcomes. So they said, what we're going to have is a Republic. And the Republic is that taking the idea of a bike, your bike is your property. That's the founding principle, private property. Your bike is your property and you can do, uh, and you do not owe it to anyone. In other words, your bike is your property and you don't owe it to anyone. And it cannot be taken against your will by law. It cannot be taken that way. And and so there's a constitution uh, that overrules laws that are goofy and that violate the rights of the people so that there can't be a situation where it's a pure democracy where the majority rules, and they can say, it's like what the communists did when they said, hey, uh, they went into Vietnam, they went into China, they went into Cambodia, they went into Laos, and they just said... You have quite a bit of stuff here. You've got land, you've got houses, and uh, we're going to take your items and we're going to give it to somebody else. And you don't have any rights over this property. And you're going to go out and work in a rice field as opposed to run this manufacturing plant. So it says America is a constitutional republic. Therefore, the, uh, the Constitution is the law by which we are supposed to be protected. In a republic, the individual is protected from the majority. You get that? In a democracy, if you can get enough people to agree with you, then um, you get your way, right? But not in a republic. In a republic, the individual is protected from that majority takeover. They can't pull a coup on the government, but they're protected by the constitutional law. And that's the type of government that we were given in the United States. And some say Thomas Jefferson, others say Benjamin Franklin. Maybe both of them have said it. They said, we've given you a constitutional republic. It's up to you to see if you can keep it. So that's an important distinction. And most young people are not being taught constitutional uh, principles uh, or how laws are being made, or how this government really functions anymore. And the Founding Fathers believed that if you didn't know, if you didn't have citizens that understood how the government would work in this country, and uh, upheld, and, and they were not going to uphold that type of government, then it would soon fall, which it's wobbling today. Well, you may, uh, if you're a Californian, we, we did our best in November to repeal the absurd gas taxes. California is an area where we can have billions of dollars in surpluses in our budget, and yet uh, they just keep raising taxes on anything that moves. So taxes were raised uh, in a huge way uh, a couple of years ago, and the the fees to own a car and to license a car every year, you have to re-register your car every single year in California, If you compare us to like Idaho or Oregon or any of these surrounding states, we're like five, six or seven times the cost of these surrounding states to to have the right to drive a car on the California roadways. And we have to pay this, this group called the Department of Motor Vehicles. So we have some of the highest fees in the United States, but the odd thing is, even though we have one of the highest oil reserves, if not the highest in the United States under the surface of California and off off the coast of California, we have some of the screwiest laws on fuel and we have some of the highest taxes on fuel in the United States. And therefore, what happens is our taxes or our gas prices per gallon are running a dollar or more uh, Per gallon extra than surrounding states. So I'll give you an example. Right now in some areas of California, gas is over $4 a gallon. Did you know that? So uh, when when this survey, like there's a you can go on a website called Gas Buddy, B U D D Y. And they will tell you what the current and upcoming gases uh gas prices are gonna be, like the gas futures, if you will. So the day that they posted this, uh gas in, in California, depending on where you are, because it's cheaper out in the rural areas than it is right in the center of San Francisco or something or LA. So gas was ranging from 399 to 429 here the other day. However, if you if you went to uh, San Antonio, Texas. Uh, it's two dollars and seventeen cents at at what they call Murphy USA. Maybe that's a truck stop. Costco in Selma. I think that's maybe Selma, Alabama. It was two dollars and nineteen cents. Remember, I said it was almost for the cheapest gas is almost four dollars a gallon here. So that's a lot more than a dollar extra. And then at the Valero. Um, gas station uh, in another spot it was $2.19 so we have these phenomenal uh, gas differences here and I wrote an article here a while back on higher taxes in California and I showed that if you were driving about just 12,000 miles a year and you, your car uh, was uh, would produce about 30, 30 miles to each gallon of gas you bought uh, that uh, paying an extra dollar a gallon, you're paying what? It, it turned out over four hundred dollars a year, almost four to five hundred dollars a year more in gas prices, gas money, just to drive to your twelve thousand miles a year. You can you can figure that out for yourself. Uh, just figuring out how many miles you drive in a year and divide it out and figure it out for yourself. But it's, uh, it's, uh, if you're wondering where your money's going and, and you have a family, 12,000 miles a year, isn't a lot to drive. But if you're, if you have a family and you're dropping an extra $500, just because you're on this side of the Nevada border or this side of the Oregon border, than the other side of the border, that's a lot of money. And so, uh, It's something to think about. Now, recently, I mentioned the repeal of the gas taxes that uh, Governor Brown got passed, the legislature passed, and they passed it with a two-thirds vote, which is a requirement in the Constitution in California right now. But uh, it was—the costs were so egregious that a lot of Democrats didn't even like it, so that's why we thought we could get the repeal through, but many— of The unions and construction people uh, fought that and, and put a lot of money into fighting it. And even the local government officials here in Ubin Sutter County spoke out against it, saying, if if we repeal that gas tax now, because Brown said we're, he's not going to—Governor uh, Brown, the past governor, said he was not going to uh, place any government funds for roads, any more government funds for roads, unless we paid more taxes— And so they passed them. And then that repeal would have reduced it back to before uh, the new law, SB1, they called it. So we even had local people here in the Yuba County government, uh, public works people, threatening that that we were not going to get our roads fixed. So what happened? The repeal didn't go through. And then Gavin Newsom became governor. And you you know what he said? He said that he wants... uh, He's going to hold each county, 58 counties, hostage until they swear to build low-income housing. Uh, it's just like, oh, we're going to build low-income housing, whether it's profitable or not. Who would, who would you know, if you, you're wondering what communism's like, they put a gun to your head and tell you to go do something, whether you make money at it, at it or not. That's exactly what Gavin Newsom's doing. And so now he said, we're not going to give you that gas money that we're collecting a lot more from you. Uh, we're not going to give you that gas money unless your County, uh, makes a commitment to build low income housing. So, uh, it's something to think about. And if you, if you're wondering when government's going to, it's not when government's going to start lying, it's when, when are they going to stop lying? So, um, uh, I have some more to talk about if we can get get to it today uh, on taxes in California. But uh, one of the, the groups that I wish if you're a Californian and you want to uh, any help in fighting increases in taxes is the group is Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. And the website is H.J.T.A. dot org. H.J.T.A. dot org. I think they have over. I don't know, it was a couple hundred thousand members. Uh, They're the ones that got Proposition 13 passed, which I figured that since it passed, I think, in 1973 or 74, it had saved me, I don't know, $100,000 in taxes or something on my house, which I don't have that expensive of a house compared to other Californians. But it really put a limit on how much taxes that a a house would have to uh, generate and how how the assessor could raise your taxes or couldn't, could or couldn't. So um, right now there's going to be an all-out assault in the uh, 2020 elections against Prop 13 savings for uh, commercial property. But as soon as that passes, then they'll come after the residential property. But there's an article I have here to talk about. Before we're done, is is when are we going to be? They call it taxer taxeration. In other words, saturation taxeration. In other words, when are people in this state, regardless of whether they're Democrat, Independent, Republican, Peace and Freedom, Green Party, whatever their flavor, when are are they are are people just going to be willing to just pay whatever, whatever, whatever? Yes, I, yesterday I met with some guys that uh, are uh, they work for a group called the children's hunger fund and they stopped through town. They were up here doing some work and they ship, um, relief boxes of food into all kinds of countries and, and even sometimes doing relief in the United States. And one of the guys used to live in, in orange County and he said he moved to, um, San Antonio, Texas. I think it was because they were saying they had a center in San Antonio. They have a center, a warehouse center where they package all these boxes up for food for uh, uh, disasters and stuff like that. So they have a San, Diego, a San Antonio, a Dallas, and a, uh, uh, an L.A. area center. And this guy said, yeah, I, I left. And he said, uh, the difference, he said, the difference in culture is profound from, from down there to here. And he said, I no longer... Uh, And my my whole life isn't devoted to working to survive. Uh, I just it. My work is a part of my life. And and he said it just flip flopped instead of the whole trying to survive in California being a ball and chain around my neck. It's a lot different in Texas. And I think that is throughout the United States. But the legislature doesn't seem to get it. And and uh, John Kupal, who writes, he's the president of the howard jarvis taxpayers association or hjta.org writes a great article about if we can get to it today now before we take a break uh i want to mention to you that i find it fascinating that a lot of californians like to complain about the government about the taxes and everything but then they won't put their money where their mouth is and what they need to do is support financially support howard jarvis taxpayers association because they have a lot of lawyers and research people that are fighting these crazy laws that are coming at us, and they're representing us. So the best thing you could do is get your checkbook out or your charge card and go on their website, hjta.org, and donate $100, $200, $300, because they are saving you. If you own a house in California, you've owned it very long. They're saving you hundreds of thousands of dollars in reduced taxes compared to what it, what it was. When, when older people, retirees, were having to give up their house and sell their houses because they couldn't afford to pay the, the uh, property taxes. So, uh, something to think about. So, we're going to uh, take a little break here and uh, listen to a, a little NRA commercial, and then we'll be right back. <music>
3: We emigrated from Venezuela, one of the most dangerous countries in the world today. A few years ago, the government came for our guns. We were told we would be safer without them. Of course, the politicians, the rich and famous, their bodyguards and criminals, they still have their guns. Everyone else lives in fear. Mothers and fathers are powerless to defend their families. But the drug cartels and gangs, the colectivos, still have all the guns they want, and 90% of murders are never solved. The biggest mistake Venezuela's made was believing that this could never happen. Today, they would do anything for the Second Amendment freedom that we enjoy as Americans. Never, ever take it for granted. I am the National Rifle Association of America, And I am freedom's safest place.
9: How many of you people out there been hurt in some kind of love affair? How many times do you swear that you'd never love again? How many lonely, sleepless nights? How many lies? How many fights? And why would you want to put yourself through all that again?
5: All right, well, welcome back, and you're listening to No Hostages Radio. This is Lou Benninger, and we're here on our second segment today, and I saw this cool article, and I want to read it to you. It's called Earning a Desk in School. I've always I've been wondering about all this free school thing. You know, I think it's pretty cool. Like, yeah, I go to Vietnam, and everybody has to pay to go to school. I think China, you have to pay to go to school. I don't know about other countries, but... So we say it's free. You don't have to, like, pay a fee to go in that door. But people that are property taxpayers in California, for instance, are paying the the load of the schools. Uh, But a lot of times kids don't, you know, it's kind of like if you don't have any skin in the game, then you don't think it's worth anything. A lot of kids go to school because they're told to go to school, and they don't have any appreciation of, like, hey, this is costing my parents money, right? So this is... uh, Title Earning a Desk in School, and the person writes, In September 2005, on the first day of school, Martha Cothran, a history teacher at Robinson High School in Little Rock, Arkansas, did something never to be forgotten. On the first day of school, with the permission of the school superintendent, the principal, uh, the principal and the building supervisor, she removed all of the desks in the classroom. When the first period kids entered the room, they discovered there were no desks. Miss Cothran, they said, where are the desks? She replied, you can't have a desk until you tell me how you earn the right to sit in that desk. They thought, well, maybe it's our grades. No, she said, maybe it's our good behavior. Nope, it's not even your good behavior. And so they came and went, the first period, the second period, the third period, and so on, so still no desk in the classroom. Kids called their parents to tell them what had happened, and by early afternoon, television news crews had started gathering at the school to report about this crazy teacher who had taken all the desks out of her classroom. The final period of the day came, and as she, uh, as the puzzled students found seats on the floor— of the deskless classroom, Martha Cothran said, Throughout the day, no one has been able to tell me just what he or she has done to earn the right to sit at the desks that are ordinarily found in this room. Now I'm going to tell you. At this point, with the media focused and the principals and everybody else wondering how this is going to shake down, Miss Cothran went over to the door of her classroom and opened it. Twenty-seven U.S. veterans, all in uniform, walked into the classroom, each one carrying a school desk. The vets began placing the desks in rows, and then they would walk over and stand along the wall. By the time the last soldier had set the final desk in place, those kids started to understand, perhaps for the first time in their lives, just how the right to sit at those desks had been earned. Martha said, you didn't earn the right to sit at these desks. These heroes standing over here did that for you. They placed the desk here for you. They went halfway around the world, gave up their education, interrupted their careers and families so you could have the freedom you have today. Now, it's up to you to sit in them. It's your responsibility to learn, to be good students, to be good citizens, etc. They paid the price so that you could have the freedom to get an education. Don't ever forget it. This teacher, Miss Cothran, was awarded the Veterans of Foreign Wars Teacher of the Year Award for the state of Arkansas in 2006. She is the daughter of a World War II prisoner of war. I thought that was, you know, I, I'm i always fascinated I'm interested and fascinated with people that come up with a a novel way to get a point across and teach a lesson. And uh, good teachers have that ability, don't they? Really good teachers, they're worth their weight in gold. And so Miss Cawthorne, way to go. Hopefully she's still alive and and going for it out there. She's probably getting up there if she had a World War II father. Uh, So way to go. Uh, I wanted to mention that uh we are on the air by people that care about us and uh we don't uh when we were on the air amfm we paid paid for time to be on the air so we weren't a commercial radio in the sense that we were making money at this we're not making a living at this but people actually got me on the air i didn't want to be on the air didn't have any radio experience but they my friends encouraged me to get on the air many years ago Because they thought I I needed to just say what was on my mind. So I thought that was a little odd. But uh, after a while of arm twisting, I went ahead and did it. But after a while, uh, I started accumulating some expenses. And so now we have more expenses with doing a podcast. But we have, I want to honor some, uh, recognize and honor some people that help us. And uh, one of them is Elite Universal Security. With Monty Hecker. We're up here in Yuba County. And uh the other day I noticed on Facebook that you know how people have you noticed people what do they call them porch pirates? They call them porch pirates. And you know, people have their a video camera on their porch so they could see if somebody comes on their porch and who it is. So you can see people coming up and stealing their packages that have been delivered by the Postal Service or Amazon or something, something, right? So the other day, someone posted a video, some video footage over here in Yuba County up in Northern California of a couple, a male and female, uh, breaking into a church out in the rural area of Yuba County and they just started uh, stealing stuff and you could see them carrying stuff out of the church after they, a church building after they broke into it. And so Monty Hecker, um, uh, went on the, uh, on uh, Facebook when he saw this and he said, Hey, 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 let's take advantage of this video and everybody that sees this, share it. So somebody will be able to recognize these people. And sure enough, uh, the people were recognized. The, the sheriff, I, I'm told, sheriff's deputies from Yuba County went over to the house of the mail and found uh, a lot of the, the items that had been stolen. And I think they, they got all the items that were stolen before they were being able to be sold and got it back to the church and arrested the couple. Isn't that great? And so uh, I thought that was, it, it wasn't really Monty's job to do that, but because he's in the security business, uh he thinks along those lines, in other words, how to catch people uh, from doing things or getting away with uh, breaking the law and stealing your property. And uh, he's also about preventing that from happening in the first place. Right. So he has this elite universal security. So they provide a lot of work for the government in Yuba County and in uh, other counties. They're working up in Yuba, Sutter, and then north of us up in Butte County, all the way up, I think, into Shasta County. In fact, I saw on his website they're looking for more help. They're running out of help. they got more business they know what to do with, and they're looking for people that can do patrol and guard and all those kind of things. So if you want a job, he'll train you, and they'll train you right here in Yuba County, and you just have to be 18 years of age to start, and uh, that's a lot less than if you want to start the, in the law enforcement business you have to be older than that but you can dial them up at five three zero seven four nine zero two eight zero it's five three zero seven four nine eight zero two eight zero and you could <clears throat> you can get yourself a job or if you're losing property uh one of his clients uh that he was taking providing security his business for was having a homeless person that was actually making a mess behind his place. And and Monty actually was able to pr- present a strategy to catch the fellow and stop the fellow and and have the person arrested for what he was doing. So uh, they can provide a lot of assistance out there. They also provide, if you're interested in, in, in re-qualifying uh, for your concealed weapon permit or getting one for the first time and going out to a range and getting some in-class training... They have a training coming up on the weekend of April 27th and 28th. That'll get you all done. That's the in-class and the range. And you can also get the requalification that uh, second day as well. And they also told me uh, earlier today that they have a taser and pepper spray class. If you've thought, hey, uh, maybe you're a female and you don't want a gun, but you want some protection, you can learn how to use these products wisely and without getting them on you, getting them on the bad guy. And on May 4th, uh they will have a class. They they want at least three students for one uh, to launch a taser or pepper spray class. So give them a shout out and uh see if they can uh fit you in and uh and you can check out also the classes they have uh to train you to get into the guard business. And finally, uh the other thing that I like that two things that they do that you don't hear a lot about, but when you need it, you need it. Like I've had to have a live scan before. And sometimes I needed a notary service. They also do, they do live scans every day as opposed to just a couple times a week. And they also do a mobile, mobile notary service. They'll come to your location and get that handled for you. So, uh, check them out and, uh, tell them you heard all about it on, uh, No Hostages Radio on the podcast. I'll talk to you about in a few minutes about some other folks that support us. And if you're interested in supporting us, we'll we'll do the same for you. We'll be on here at least once a week. We're starting back at once a week, and then we'll see if we're going to do more. But I wanted to play you a clip. Uh, Like some of you may be wondering, like a lot of people around our area, how did we end up in a predicament where people— don't want to participate in society, they don't want to go to work, they don't want to pay their own bills, uh, they don't want to live in a house, they want to be able to just set up house, put up a tent, camp, wherever they want, whether it's on your private property, whether it's on public property, uh, they just want to live the way they want to live. So we thought kind of we could do that in America, but uh, the way way it's happening throughout the United States, and, and you're probably seeing photos of this every day now, uh, cities. I just saw a uh, darn near an hour, hour documentary on Seattle. that was just totally shocking, amazingly. And the I don't know whether you've ever, have you ever used Bay Area Rapid Transit, BART? I've used it a few times, and I get on the East Bay over in San Pablo, and at, at the East Bay Station, and it goes right into the bay. And when you go into the bay, you can choose what outlet you get out on. And I get out on Civic Center because I would walk up about 15, 20 minutes out of there and walk to the Chinese embassy and get me myself a visa. So when I wanted to go into China. Well, uh, it was a little gnarly on that once you got out of the subway to go up to the Chinese embassy. Uh, but when you... When you got up there, it was okay. But nowadays, they say in the, inside the Civic Center uh, outlet, uh, people are shooting heroin down there, and and everybody just it's okay with everybody. In other words, they give you fresh needles in San uh, San Francisco free of charge. You can trade your old needle in, get a fresh needle, and they just shoot right out in the open, shoot drugs. So you get off with your kids and and the whole thing, and you just walk by it, and and they're just they're just getting it on. So uh, anyway, that that is a predicament that we're all facing. And and you might wonder, why are we facing this? What caused it? And so John Stossel, who always is digging into, like, why things are the way they are and do they have to be this way? And there's a clip here I want to play for you uh, is it's called Bad Laws Cause the Homeless Crisis. Here we go. It's just
9: a mess. (laughs) everywhere. It's just a mess out here.
0: Where is the poorest, dirtiest, most depressing slum in the world? In Haiti? India? Africa? Is that what this is? No. I'm in America. One of the richest parts of America. Highest rents in all of America. This is San Francisco today. Encampments of street people everywhere. Some pitch tents, planning to stay a long time. Some have mental problems. Vampires are real and a Paranoid is all hell. Other street people complain about them.
2: They run around and they shout at themselves. They make it bad for people like us that hang out with a sign. They
0: come up me. Some people shoot up in plain sight.
7: It's nasty seeing somebody actually shoot up drugs like right there. The police don't do anything about it. They'll get somebody for drinking a beer, but they'll walk right past. People using needles.
0: Every day in San Francisco, an average of 85 cars are broken into.
8: They're called smash and grabs.
0: Inside Edition left things in a car to test how long they'd last. Not long.
8: Watch as these Bonnie and Clyde wannabes stroll up and peer inside our car. They wait here for the sidewalk to clear. Then the thief throws up his hood.
2: There you go. You just broke in. What's going on? Hey guys. Good. Everything good today? Good. Yeah.
0: Since store owners can't rely on city cops to deal with the masses of homeless, some hire private police to patrol around their stores. Cody Clements works this neighborhood.
2: A lot of times, because somebody who pays for our service calls and says, "Hey, there's a homeless uh, group of people setting up a camp in front of my business on my residence. Can you come ask them to move?"
0: There used to be hundreds of private cops like Cody, but then San Francisco's police union complained. Now, there are fewer than 10 left.
2: Can I just have you guys stand up for me? Cody
0: offers help to people living on the streets, but most turn it down. Well, do you need any type
2: of homeless outreach services or anything?
0: San Francisco is generous. It offers street people food stamps, free shelter, train tickets, and $70 a month in cash.
2: I don't use any resources, but they're, they're always offering
0: resources. San Francisco is just a good place to hang out. Like many, these two come here
2: from out of town. Do you like the lifestyle? Of course I do. As you just heard, they love the freedom of not having to follow the rules. So the homeless stay on the
0: streets, and every day new people arrive. Some residents want the city to get tougher with people living on the streets. Let's get them to the point where they have to make a decision between jail and rehab. And there's a way we can do that. Other cities do it. But for some reason, San Francisco doesn't have the political will to. San Francisco's politicians have promised to fix the homeless problem. They've promised that. For decades. If there is a problem involved in housing a homelessness, you got to do something about it.
1: As part of the city's program, the homeless were to be temporarily housed in hotels. A thousand units right here in the Tenderloin. We have already moved 6,860 human beings.
0: So we need to fund programs like Homeward Bound. But the extra funding hasn't worked. The number of street people has grown most every year. Hey. One reason is that even if some of these people wanted to get off the street to rent an apartment, there aren't many apartments available. Most of San Francisco looks like this. Three-story buildings, maybe two apartments per building. You can't add on to that. It's illegal. Because of that, housing that exists costs a fortune. (laughs) This doesn't look like an expensive neighborhood, but these houses sell for millions of dollars?
5: Millions of dollars.
0: What if I come in and I bought this property and I want to put up an apartment building that would house a bunch of people? Yeah, too bad. Laura Foote's nonprofit runs ads that try to convince residents to allow bigger buildings, to say, YIMBY, yes, in my backyard. But good luck with that. Even in liberal San Francisco, people don't want that.
8: I would hate it. I would hate it. I think it'd be really congested.
0: Where will people live? I'm not sure. You're a builder, go build stuff. Let me build. John Dennis has been trying to replace this grimy old building.
2: This has been a defunct meatpacking plant. It's been
0: empty for at least 15 years. He wants to turn this into this, which would house 60 people. But it's taken four years just to get permission to build. And all that time, we're paying property taxes and we're paying for maintenance of the building. People in San Francisco often claim to be all about helping the poor. But their policies make life tougher for the poor. What's your next project in San Francisco?
2: No more projects in San Francisco. I'm done. I'll never do another project here.
5: All right. Uh, Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, We are in the midst of a major crisis in in the United States. And... uh, I don't have the information on it, but I think it's Rhode Island that is taking a very aggressive view of drug addiction. And you know, we we have a high regard for people's rights at, in in terms of like we consider you mentally ill, or someone it maybe someone thinks somebody else is mentally ill or addicted or an alcoholic. That that people are very careful about taking their rights from them. But what's happening in, in Rhode Island, and it's quite successful, is that they're considering—they're uh, taking an aggressive stance on people who are severely addicted or uh, very uh, desperate alcoholic and basically a threat to their own lives, and maybe they're committing some crimes, and and they're— they're using incarceration. You know, in California, we got into a deal, which was a good deal, too. We were putting a lot of people in jail for drug use or drug sales, but then they started to sort of side door people out of jail because uh, into drug drug recovery and uh, rehabs. And because if they were clean they weren 't really doing the criminal behavior it was It was an addiction problem that led to the criminal behavior so what they 're doing in in this uh, it was a great documentary uh, is they 're saving people 's lives because they 're getting them cleaned up in rehabs, and people many people had overdosed two, three, four times, and they're they're getting them straightened out at this point uh in California we're not doing anything uh in terms of putting pressure on people that are homeless except uh giving them more money uh more money to to be homeless uh walter williams who is a professor emeritus of economics at george mason university says whatever you want more of in a society you you subsidize that or give welfare to it and whatever you want less of, you tax it. So businesses that are highly taxed, uh, they do not expand in those areas of the country. They move to other areas of the can- country. A great example, whether or not you like Donald Trump or not, is the fact is he promised immediately that he would reduce reduce regulation on business. And if they were ever going to add a rev- re- regulation, they no one could add a regulation in government unless they removed a few more two more or something. Now I think they're removing 12 per one of adding one. So it just goes to show you that, that uh, the actions of government have ripple effects, positive or negative in a society. And so, uh, but Rhode Island may be, I think it's Rhode Island, maybe the, uh, the vanguard of change in terms of how they're dealing with people that are, uh, they're unhireable, right? No, if you, If you say, well, homeless people just need a job, nobody's going to hire a person that is uh, under the influence. There's a guy on the front page of the Appeal Democrat, I noticed, I don't know if it was today's paper, yesterday's paper. It just showed the back of him, but it told his name, and they'd had a warrant for him for over a year. I've known that guy for a long time. I met him in a rehab. He's got a methamphetamine problem. I think he's a very sharp guy. He's a very talented guy. But no one's going to hire that guy addicted to drugs until they can get him cleaned up and where he could pass a drug test and show up sober. So Rhode Island has really tackled it. Now, recently, I talked to Dr. Cassidy, who used to be the uh, head health official for Yuba County for 25 years and is, has really been the uh, the trailblazer for treatment of people that have opiate problems and but really could get very few people in government to take the opiate crisis clear uh seriously uh two decades back or even a decade back now everybody's all getting worked up about it because so many people are dying from overdoses and a lot of people that uh are using uh Pharmaceutical opiates like OxyContin and uh, Hydrocodone, Vicodin, uh, are getting strung out on them and, and even overdosing. Uh, so recently, Dr. Cassidy said he had a great conversation with one of the ER docs who, instead of just saving a person's life and putting them back out to get high again, they really want to look at over at Adventist Health at the ER of of transitioning people from saving their life uh, to having a life, to getting their life back, instead of just getting their heart going again. I I, I ran into this—I uh, I love the Internet because it's just— uh, you know, some people are uh, making fun of the Internet because they you know, say, oh, well, you can you know, they make jokes about believing stuff on the Internet. But most of the stuff on the Internet that's just information, that's, that's research, is fascinating because— it wasn't that long ago, it was difficult to get your hands on it, even if it was out there because you would have to borrow it from a library. If it wasn't at the Uber Sutter County library, it was a library in San Francisco or New York. And you found it some way through some sort of research tab. You, you had to like solicit it and have it sent to you. It's crazy. So there's this article that they asked all these bright people in the United States About different topics that would be considered unthinkable or different activities that would be considered unthinkable 50 years from now. And so this one lady wrote uh, that the drug war will be considered unthinkable in 50 years. And uh, she said one day uh, we'll be uh, we'll look back on the drug war, war war as a catastrophic failure. And she says this. In 1953, this is fascinating. Uh, she, in fact, she wrote a book on the drug war. And, uh, but in 1953, she says a, a daily Boston Globe columnist sketched a hypothetical scenario for his readers. And she said that this writer wrote, Team A on, on the one foot line, fourth down, one minute to play, a bull game invitation, writing on the result. The stakes are high. Any reason why the team doctor, he wondered, shouldn't send in a substitute with just a little heroin on board? (laughs) That was written in 1953 in the Daily Boston Globe. She said this question may have intentionally distressed his readers, but it would not have drawn their censure. In other words, they, they wouldn't have rebuked him, at least not in the way that our modern sensibilities might lead us to suppose. She says, despite what you may have previously read or learned, the opioid painkiller known as heroin was not considered illegal with the passage of the heroin or Harrison Narcotic Act in 1914, nor was it regarded an illicit substance when Congress passed the 1924 Jones Miller Act, dramatically curtailing the drugs, legal importation and supply. It was only in 1956 when legislators introduced a Narcotics Control Act ordering licit holders of heroin, for instance, doctors, hospitals, and pharmacists could possess heroin, right, in 1956. So it introduced a Narcotics Control Act ordering doctors, hospitals, and pharmacists to surrender all remaining stockpiles of heroin to the government. So in other words, heroin was commonly being used to treat different ailments by licensed people, hospitals, doctors, and pharmacists. But in, in 1956, that Narcotics Control Act told them to knock it off and that all heroin could be said to be prohibited. At the time, the confiscation of all heroin was greeted in the press reports as a completely novel or innovative approach. This this author said it was also all wrong She said, for almost 40 years before the fateful decision, the federal government closely monitored and deliberately diminished the supply of heroin, arresting hundreds of people for possession of the drug without the appropriate tax stamp. Isn't that interesting? As long as you had a tax stamp, you could have heroin. Still, arrests were rare for heroin, especially outside the major cities, for the simple reason that most police in the United States, for years after the 1956 Narcotic Control Act did not even recognize heroin or its paraphernalia when they ran into it. Now today, every cop in this area, in your area, police officers, sheriffs, they they notice heroin. They would recognize meth, cocaine. They know what it's, how it's used, how it's cooked, how it's shot. So she says during that same interval of time, people used the drug for recreational or non-prescribed reasons are using it for those reasons acquired it either from diversion from legal channels in other words it got stolen just like people steal uh you go home you know somebody goes from the hospital with 50 pills and they use 10 of them and then somebody steals the rest or they sell the rest that's a diversion from legal channels or from a totally clandestine network of production and distribution that would be the the per- producing and and shipping of heroin Uh, from other countries where it's grown with opium poppies. So anyway, she goes on to talk about this, how uh, questioning whether heroin should be uh, considered as illegal in that sense. And she says, In another 50 years' time, our children's children will view drug prohibition as America's greatest social policy failure and ascribe blame to its architects as well as to its indifferent observers. So uh, she says today, heroin is still classified as a Schedule One or prohibited drug. The consequences of this fateful decision continue to haunt us. Gross failures in our in our criminal justice system and uh, and treatment has created all kinds of problems. And so she thinks in fifty years, uh, we're gonna people are gonna look back and said those people were stupid back there that did that. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, There's another lady that wrote here that abortion will be considered unthinkable 50 years from now. I thought this is amazing. This lady, Karen Swallow, Karen Swallow Pryor is her name. She's got two last names. Karen Swallow Pryor. She's professor of English uh, at Liberty University. And she's a research fellow with Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now she thinks that the the interest in abortion is waning, and uh, she said nothing marks the progress of any society more than the expansion of human rights to those who formerly lacked them. I agree with that. I believe that that if such progress is to continue, prenatal human beings—that's preborn human beings—will be included in this group, and we will consider elective abortion primitive and cruel. In the future now if you read the bible any you read of cultures that actually sacrificed their children they killed them roman the roman culture would if they didn't like a way a baby looked or they didn't think it was a very strong child or there's something about it that didn't fit their their preference they just tossed it that just that's the way it was uh in bible times and, and prior to even jesus birth there were uh Cultures that sacrificed and threw their babies to burn and cut their babies open uh, to sacrifice them to gods or demons, however you want to look at it. So there's been some gnarly. So I, I agree with her point. Nothing marks progress of a society more than the expansion of human rights to those who formerly lacked those rights. So it's safe to say that in many societies, the the size you were dictated how many rights you had. If you're a big person, you had lots of rights. If you're a small person or you're an old person, like in our society today, old people and small people, tiny people, don't have any rights. She says, look how difficult it would have been for our grandparents to foresee a culture in which nearly one of four women has an abortion by the age 45. So she says, the eradica- eradication of abortion may be difficult to imagine. What would our grandparents think? I know what my dad and mom would think. They would be shocked. <laughs> Just totally toasted. Certainly, some factors leading to this situation reflect real and substantial progress from women. Greater equality, more work options, improved understanding of sexuality, da 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 uh, but rights of women that come at the expense of unborn children aren't true liberation. They merely, as one writer put it, enable the redistribution of oppression. So she she's talking here about how uh, <clears throat> the Centers of Disease Control, which keeps tab on who's having an abortion, how many abortions per thousand women are occurring, etc. So since Roe versus Wade, the decision that made abortion legal in all 50 States, the, the number of abortions has never been lower. The frequency of abortion. So 11.8 abortions per 1000 women aged 15 to 45, uh, is a dramatic decline from a peak in the early eighties that approached 30 Deaths per 1,000. That's interest. That's that's more than half drop. Right. It's unclear. She says whether well, this decrease is owing to increased use of contraceptives, delayed sexual activity among young people, declining number of doctors willing to perform abortions, inability to deny thanks to ultrasound technology that prenatal uh, surgical in- interventions and ex- extravagant gender reveal parties are destroying kids right so uh anyway i thought i thought oh that's kind of encouraging for me uh to think that people will think it's barbarian uh which i think it is but most a lot of the culture doesn't think that but this whole uh, this whole th- more fascinating even than that is this whole grappling of uh, the use of heroin and opiates, and what to do with people that are addicted. Because if I think it was Rhode Island that that Rhode Island oh was this is a Seattle documentary. You got to look up the Seattle documentary. I don't have it. Uh, if I if I figure out where it is, I'll put it on our website. The Seattle documentary. One guy went down and interviewed a hundred and something chronically homeless individuals and they looked at a number of things how long they'd been homeless whether they had any warrants and uh whether they were using drugs and the statistics on these people how many they'd been arrested how many times they'd been arrested was phenomenal hundreds and hundreds of times and uh and the fact that they were they were uh addicted they were severely addicted and they needed an intervention So uh, two states, one Seattle, Washington, and then the Rhode Island had some of the most innovative things going on uh, that we've seen. So we're going to take a break, and we'll be back in a couple minutes. We're going to play a clip for you, uh, some stories that the media refuse to tell you. Do you know something? There's a couple ways to censor things. One is to just forbid the people to speak about it. The other is to just ignore it. And just pretend like it didn't happen. And that's another form of censorship. You're going to hear about that in just a minute.
7: What the mainstream media was too afraid to tell you about the news this week. This week, while the mainstream media obsessed over handsy Joe Biden, here are the things that happened that really matter. Former Obama Department of Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson said what is happening at the border is a crisis. Johnson said Border Patrol, under his control, was overwhelmed by 1,000 apprehensions a day. Now the Border Patrol is dealing with 4,000 apprehensions a day, 100,000 every month. And Johnson said, quote, by any measure, 4,000 apprehensions on our southern border in one day, 100,000 in a month, is a crisis. But did the mainstream media report on this? Did the mainstream media ask why the Democrats keep calling it a fake emergency when even Obama administration officials admit it is a crisis? Nope. The mainstream media didn't say a word. The New York Times and The Washington Post published fake news this week. The New York Times headline reads, Some on Mueller's team say the report was more damaging than Barr revealed. The articles insinuated that Attorney General Barr lied in his summary of the Mueller report. And that Mueller team members were calling him out. Except when you read the articles, neither outlet actually talked to Mueller's team. They used basically a third degree anonymous source. The article doesn't even quote anonymous, uh, doesn't even anonymously quote Mueller's team itself. They quote a person familiar with an associate who heard from a Mueller team member. But did the mainstream media call out their own for absolutely embarrassing reporting? Nope. The mainstream media acted like this was a smoking gun, proving a cover-up of evidence that Trump is guilty. Pathetic. In the wake of the handsy Joe Biden stories, Democrats claim the other moderate candidate in the Democratic primary race is Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg is a moderate, they tell us. But Buttigieg supports late-term abortion, abolishing the Electoral College, government-run health care, reparations for slavery, amnesty for illegals, soda bans, taxing the rich, and stacking the Supreme Court. That is not moderate, that's radical. But did the mainstream media report to you Judge's radical positions on these issues? No, no. The mainstream media is going along with the left, using the same tactic the left used to elevate Obama, whom they claimed was a moderate, too, even though he was a radical. Judge Brian Hagedorn won the Supreme Court election in Wisconsin against a very liberal opponent, despite nasty attacks on his religion from the left. The left accused him of being anti-gay because he serves on the board of a Christian school that teaches traditional Christian doctrine on natural marriage and sexual morality. And because of a blog post Hegedorn wrote in law school analyzing Justice Scalia's Supreme Court ruling on illegalizing sodomy. For this, the left said his Christian beliefs make him unfit for the judiciary. But Hegedorn won. After all the money the left spent, despite all these attacks, despite the religious bigotry from the left, Hegedorn won. Religious freedom won. But did the mainstream media report on this? No, they didn't, because the mainstream media is in the pocket of the left. And this is the next strategy of the left, stopping political opponents by attacking their Christian religious beliefs. Venezuela is facing 30 days of electricity rationing. They barely have any internet. Millions of Venezuelans are without water. Inflation is at 2.69 million percent. Three million people have fled the country. There is starvation and lack of medicine life expectancy has dropped by three years, babies are dying in hospitals, the dictator Maduro blocked humanitarian aid, he threatened the baby daughter and the grandmother of opposition leader Juan Guaido and tried to strip Guaido of his parliamentary immunity. And still, none of the Democratic 2020 presidential contenders will condemn the socialism that has led to the destruction of Venezuela. But did the mainstream media report on this silence from the left? since the left is also touting socialism to bring here to the United States. Nope, the mainstream media won't say a word. The mainstream media doesn't care to report any of that to you, so we will.
5: All right, welcome back. Lou Benninger here, and and, uh, I wanted to mention before we get on talking about uh, colleges in the U.S., uh, a friend of mine that I met when he was just a youngster and didn't even know how to spell nail, uh, Dave Greenitz, he and I became friends, and we've been friends, he and I, and then when he married a girl, married a young girl, and we've been friends for four decades, and Dave has the most unique uh, carpentry businesses in this area, in Northern California, and he primarily focuses up here in yuba sutter counties but sometimes ventures over to other counties nearby yuba so i even he's gone up to lake tahoe occasionally do a project but if you go to his website if you've ever thought i think i'm gonna we're gonna you know some people think oh let's go get a different house or get it, move over here or go over here now we'll stay we can't afford it let's just fix up our bathroom let's fix up the the kitchen and so dave is kind of Sit uh, settled into this niche that he is. It's a sweet spot, and he has some, some of the most amazing kitchens and baths I've ever seen. And you can go on his website and check it out and see whether you might not not like something like that. Uh, his his website is Greenitz G R E E N like the color at E T Z Greenitz one word construction dot com, and you. And the photos are uh, not shopped, chopped, m- monkeyed with, or stolen. They're actually his work. And he has photographers come in and take a nice shot of it, puts it on there. and So if you're interested in that, check it out. He also does decks and and uh, whole house fans. I think last week I called them exhaust fans, but but it's, it's tidier to call them whole house fans. But if you live in the valley here where I live, it gets hot. Summers get hot, and so if you can suck the hot air out of your attic and uh, pull some in from the evening, the evening cool down, then it uh, you don't have to pay for that expensive PG&E. Like whoa, it's like hundreds of dollars a month to cool your house here. Maybe even more. So uh, if you're interested, give Dave a shot. A shout at it's Construction dot com and I'll, I'll i'll give you his phone number here uh and and you know here's the unique thing i told i said last uh episode that some contractors you know this term they call themselves independent contractors some of them are way too independent because they tell you they're coming back monday and they don't show up for a month and a half that helped to my friends just down the street so they ended up with windows not finished and they couldn't hang up drapes it's all messed up for long time so the one thing about dave uh or guys like monty hecker people that i have on the show here i'm not just going to put anybody on the show they got to be quality right and uh so dave if you make an appointment with him he's probably going to be a couple minutes early because he's on the button and if he comes in and does your job he's going to do it and it's going to be like you wanted it and he's going to clean up afterwards and have it all sharp looking so check it out. Greenitz Dave Greenitz, 530-682-9602. 530-682-9602. And uh you just tell him that you heard about it on No Hostages Radio. And he might give you a deadhead discount if you've ever heard of the Grateful Dead. Uh he used to be a, a groupie and he followed the dead around. And he liked like to go to their concerts. So he said, Lou, give them, I'll give them a deadhead discount if you say that, uh, if they say they heard all about it on your show. <clears throat> so that's that. I want to mention, <clears throat> we've had this odd situation that started out as a real, a blessing to Yuba County. I, th- I still think it can be, but you know, sometimes you have leaders that, you just don't think that much about them. They just, they just kind of go through the motions and nothing extraordinary happens. Uh, and you just kind of hang with them, political leaders. Uh, my friend, Dave Bryant says everything in life revolves around or is successful or not based on the leadership, whether it's in a family, a little league team, a church, a business or government. So sometimes you end up with a group of individuals that are forward thinkers and, and, uh, wise thinkers and they're able to pull off some really tremendous things and that was the case back in right after the 1955 flood that just devastated our valley here and i I don't remember how many people died but uh maybe 20 30 people died in that flood but the other thing is it just wiped out sutter county in a big way and uh, other farm areas as well did some tremendous damage and it just scared people and because the water got so high on the levees, they thought it was going to flood in Marysville and Yuba County first. So the supervisors in Yuba County decided to take action because they had some dams up here on the Yuba River, and they said, you know, we need, a, we need to build a new Bullard Bar Dam. And so <clears throat> they couldn't just go do that. They couldn't just take uh, the citizens' money and start spending it on a project like that so, because they needed to raise a lot of money. And so they put it on the ballot, and I think the I think ninety two percent of the public wanted it because people had just you know they they were scared to death uh, of of the 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 inability to control the water. And about the same time, the state of California under Governor Pat Brown, not Jerry Brown, but Pat, his dad, he he launched the California Water Project, and that included a dam called Oroville Dam that you just heard about rebuilding their their. Uh, spillway but um they th- that dam was also getting built, and so these guys floated this this uh bond these bonds, and then they negotiated with p g e to to actually take responsibility for the bonds and pay off the bonds if p g e uh wanted all the power right because they sold power, so they worked out that deal in over fifty years uh P.G.E. continued to pay off the bonds, the money that were borrowed for that dam, and they successfully paid it off just prior to them going bankrupt. Right? Did you see just in the paper today? It says they're going—they're going bankrupt, and they almost went bankrupt once before. But what's happened is, uh, this sleepy little agency called the Yuba County Water Agency, that at one time just had a manager and a couple secretaries, now is one of the bigger uh, agencies. In the entire county, and it's handling, I think, more money than the entire county It's generating all kinds of water sales and power sales. But the interesting thing is they don't they say they're starting to sell this uh, PR pitch that they're not a part of the county. They're independent from the county. And uh, But they're starting to give money to the county. And the odd thing is, it didn't seem odd when they created it this way, but now that there's hundreds of millions of dollars, and you know how people are when they get lots of power and lots of money? They get goofy in the head. That's what human beings get. It's just true everywhere. All over the world is the same. So what started off when the supervisors of the county of Yuba they they did their supervisor's role, then they switched hats, and then they said, Well, now we're the water agency, so then they made decisions to get along with PGE and make decisions with PGE to handle this dam up there. Well, they what happened when they took over the responsibility for the dam in 2016, they all got they also got all the revenue and all the expenses and all the maintenance, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a lot of money coming in. So there, different people had different ideas in the community about how to spend all this money that was available now for the to benefit Yuba County, and so the view of the Yuba County Water Agency now they call themselves the Yuba Water Agency they don't want to even have that county that dirty term county involved in it. Um, they want to just give money wherever they want to give money, right? And they say it has to have some sort of nexus or connection to their organization. In other words, flood control, uh, replenishing the water in the underground reservoirs, etc., water quality, etc. And so they've been giving grants to various entities, the emergency response people, all kinds of things. And uh, they've been giving these grants out. And so other people think, hey, well, you know, who are you to just decide to just give all this money out? But the other thing I read the other day, which I found interesting, and no one's really talking about it, and it it wasn't even on the front page. I noticed, it's interesting, I noticed that the, there was a front page article, the most important article in the paper, on, above the fold on the front page, was an article about that the Twin Cities Rescue Mission, one of the longest serving nonprofits in the area is in trouble with the government because they didn't file some tax return. Now, they thought that was the most important, earth shattering, life altering thing to happen in our area. So they made they they basically kicked dirt in the face of the rescue mission. But it said doing it in this second page in, it says Yuba County is going to borrow borrow nine million dollars from the water agency to fund road repairs and i thought why are they doing that what what happened to all this road repair money they they said we we don't want to repeal that uh prop six because we need that road money well where is that road money and now they go out and borrow nine million dollars now I thought, oh, okay, then they must have a, a gush of money coming in within a year, and they're going to pay it back. You know, they've been paying that back. They've been borrowing money, paying down the pension funds, and then they've been, they've been paying it back in a year at like 1% interest or something. But this money is not going to be handled that way, this $9 million. I want you to think about it. I want you to think about taking out loans that you're not going to have to pay for. Somebody else is going to have to pay for your grandkids, or your kids. And uh, the Bible says that when you borrow money, you're presuming on the future. And you think, oh, well, everybody borrows money, so what? I'll, I'll tell you so what. When you presume on the future, you either better be a psychic or a prophet, because the future can break your nose. And so I, I was reading, oh, they're going to borrow $9 million to launch these road projects, because it's dry weather's coming up right and you want to get them done right sounds good so they're going to i thought they're going to take this short-term loan but no it isn't that yuba county it says we use the money for two big road projects this summer and 70 miles of roads totaling 15 million dollars and so uh in addition to the nine million in load proceeds you what public works is approaching the agency for another three million dollar grant etc cetera, etc cetera. so but here's the deal on the nine million dollars they're going to pay that back over 10 years so in other words the yuba county supervisors has run out of money to work on right to money to operate right in your budget when you have to go out and borrow nine million dollars or you have to go out and buy a borrow a lot of money to run your operation at your home or your business, aren't you going backwards? You're going backwards. Where is the money going to come from to pay this back? It doesn't say anywhere in this article where the money is going to come from to pay this back. If you can't pay for it now, how are you going to pay for it then? So it says in 10 years, they're going to pay this off in a 10-year payback with interest totaling more than $1.1 million dollars you understand in other words they're going to pay back 9 million plus they're going to pay back 1.1 $1. $1 million because they didn't have 9 million set aside in the first place you know when you save money or when you operate within your means or you operate below your means in other words you your expenses are the same as your income or a lot less than your income Then you stay in in what they call the black. But what's happening is the county is operating in the red. Now in 10 years, I'm just going to, I don't know whether I'm going to be around 10 years, but I I can pretty much guarantee you that the five supervisors that are sitting on that board are going to be gone in 10 years, all five of them. That's what I think is going to happen. And I think that Robert Bindorf, the city, the county administrator, is going to be gone in five years. And, and, uh, I think Kurt Aiken is going to be gone in 10 years. All these people are going to be Kurt Aiken's the head of the water agency. So they're borrowing all this money. And they're going to let the next generation figure out how to fix it. They're dumping all the debt on the next generation of Yuba County people. So no, no, uh, no editorials on this. That's a lot of money. Adding $9 million. The people didn't get to vote on it. Nobody had any input on it. Just the supervisors said, oh, I think we're just going to borrow $9 million to launch those road projects. And you wonder, I thought there was supposed to be money coming in from all these taxes, right? Where where'd all that money go? No discussion about it. No discussion about it. Well, uh... I was, uh, let's see where we are here. I was talking to a relatively new young friend of mine who has had a pretty rough little life at her age. She's 19. And uh, she was living on the streets of L.A. when her mom got herself in trouble and got put in prison. And uh, the rest of the kids got put in uh, child child custody, you know, government. But this girl uh, didn't and hid out and did not want to be in a foster home. So she lived on the streets and here and there and everywhere. And uh, anyway, she she's a survivor and she finished her high school education, taking a continuation type school for girls that are pregnant. And uh, and she did good. And she's a sharp kid and she's got a backbone, which is all good, right? And uh her dad's never been around, so she's raised by her grandma, but now her mom's back in the picture and things are things are looking up. So her hope is to raise her child, who's about one or so, and uh to go out here to Yuba College, which is a local college here, a junior college that's uh, spread around between Yuba County, Sutter County, Calusa County and Woodland, Yolo County. I don't know whether those out Calusa and Woodland still are in the in the fold or not but the point is she's local here and wants to do this this uh, Yuba County thing and she's excited about going to college and none of her people ever went to college and so I just have this mixed emotion about college you know if you're going to college you get a nursing degree you're going to be an attorney you're going to be a doctor you're going to be a certified public accountant, an engineer. In other words, you you need that technical degree or you're not going to be able to go to work in that field, right? But if you're going to study history or the humanities or sociology, you're going to get your butt kicked. So anyway, she went to have dinner the other night and talked things over. We have dinner every once in a while, and so she's she started asking me and telling me things that she was taught in the first couple courses she'd taken that were college type courses in high school where you could take them at the college and and she was telling me how angry teachers were when i think it was an english course and the gal kept ranting against uh, against trump and she said that she and and uh This one other guy used to challenge the teacher because the teacher got off subject and started talking politics all the time. Now, that's what's happening throughout the country and colleges. You're paying way more than it's worth. And the and the the schooling you get is dogma and propaganda. And uh, it isn't what it's cracked up to be unless you want to go in and get a degree in an area like architecture, or any of these degree, where you have to have a degree to perform in our society, right? Otherwise, your kids are getting hammered by communists and socialists, and people that hate Jesus. In fact, I I wrote an article about this, and uh, I call it the education plantation. Uh, but I wrote another article about it as well. And uh, let's see if I can even find it here. Look. Uh, I think I must have moved it. So anyway, I talked about the, the bias and the lack of tolerance on the college campuses and the fact that if you like Jesus... You're pro-life. You think we need a military, and you like the police. And uh, you're a conservative thinker. And you you try to behave morally. What happens on the college campus, even in the classroom, is you get mocked. Sometimes you get beat up. There's there's uh, I've I've videos of. High-profile campuses like UC Berkeley where people that were standing up for pro-life or for uh, conservative political causes, uh, they got beat up and their stuff got torn up. And they tore down their signs and they tipped over their tables and people got broken noses and stuff. So I have mixed emotions about kids wanting to go to just regular old college and just think I'm just going to go learn, learn, learn when the professors are all full of baloney. So she asked me, she said, well, aren't the solar or aren't the the, the polar ice caps, aren't the ice caps melting? And all these creatures up there dying. I said, no, they're not. You should go up there and check it out for yourself if you're concerned about it. I said, it's a lie. They predicted it. They also I said, uh, go back and read. I said, there's all these books being written now for your generation. She's 19. But I said, in my generation, there was uh, Paul and Anne Ehrlich wrote a book called The Population Bomb back in the 1970s. And they either went to UC Berkeley or Stanford, and it predicted that there were going to be hundreds of millions of people die of starvation within six or eight years. That it, They said it was they, the the world was so in terrible shape— that there's no way we could reverse mass starvation. Well, the fact is, it never came to pass. And they, what they didn't figure on is farm ag scientists and farmers figuring out new ways to grow crops better with less water, get bigger crops, cost less, and be able to still deliver uh, lots of food at reasonable prices, right? You wish the drug companies could figure this out as well. So anyway, I asked her, you know, she asked me a lot of global warming questions and questions like philosophical questions that I thought. In, in America, it's always been this way, and now we say it about it on the Internet. There's fake news. People can say anything they want. They keep repeating it over and over again, though it's not true. Tomorrow night at trauma intervention training, we're going to be talking about suicide and the myths versus the facts. And one of the myths for suicide, for instance, and I've had it said to me over and over and over and over again, is that most suicides occur. or The higher percentage of suicides occur around the holidays, Christmas time. It's a total myth. There's, it's never been that way. It, is, it, it didn't happen that way once, and now it's different. It never happened that way. Just not the fact. But people believe that because it's been said over and over and over again. So <clears throat> I was... Um, I, I knew I'd read some articles about this topic, so I looked them up, and and there's an article called "Liberal Professors Outnumber Conservatives Twelve to One," on college campuses. <clears throat> so they they've done this research, and uh, they they looked at forty leading universities. And they found that of 7,243 professors, Democrats outnumbered Republicans 11 and a half to one. Now, they only quote information from 3,623 Democrats and 314 Republicans. Now, you think, well, that's not 7,243. It isn't. So I got to wonder myself, if they're not Republican or Democrats, what might they be? On a liberal college campus, my hunch is independence, communists, Green Party. Right. But the fact that three thousand six hundred twenty three were Democrats and only three hundred fourteen on four forty campuses were Republicans uh, should cause you pause or about a twelve twelve to one difference. <coughs> so do you think it's hard, harder to get. A job if you're a Republican or a conservative on these college campuses? You bet. Out of the five departments analyzed by the authors, the field friendliest or the occupation, campus occupation friendliest to conservative scholars was economics, the department economics. And only about four and a half liberal professors existed for every one conservative. The, what do you think the lib- most liberal uh, department was? It's history. I found that fascinating. I would have picked maybe psychology or even uh, sociology. But history, they say, is by far the least conservative-friendly department. Uh, liberals, check this out. They outnumber conservatives, 33 and a half professors for every one conservative. So if you think you're going to send your kid— who you think is a pretty good kid to a college campus and not be affected by that drama. You are sadly mistaken. Uh, Kim Holmes, who is a, who is a researcher for the heritage foundation, uh, said that the rising ascent of, um, multiculturalism philosophy in in the humanities, like that's like, you're focusing on English or something makes it difficult for conservatives to find a place to even work there. You can't even get a job. In other words, they, they vet you. Remember, they wouldn't vet the president, president Obama, but they vet teachers to find out. What do you believe? Do you go to church? Are you conservative? How'd you vote? You know, prior, were you ever in the military on and on? Where'd you buy a house in town? They, they, uh, shadowed them. Uh, they watch them. And, uh, they vet them until they can figure out who they are, and then they they kick them to the curb, right? So uh the authors of the analysis, Anthony Quayne of George Mason University, and Daniel B. Klein, speculate that the rapidly growing disparity is due in part to the rise of uh, academic subcategories, such as histories of gender, race, and class. I wonder if you major in that, what are you going to, how are you going to earn a living? I would never hire you for anything. If you majored in gender, race, or class, uh, all you're going to do is go out and try to create some kind of communist government after that. So Kim Holmes, who's with the heritage foundation said that the, uh, uh, it's very difficult for conservative teachers to get a place to work or get promoted. And she said, uh, you're not going to hire a conservative to go into a humanities department like that because they don't even believe in it. So Holmes wrote a book that probably we should read called the closing of the liberal mind, because she said imbalance is proliferating. Uh, so you could probably imagine the most uh, the, the campuses with the most uh, wide, uh, biggest proportion of people liberal versus conservative. Some of the Ivy League uh, schools that were actually started by church people, right? I don't know about Columbia, but I think Princeton was, Yale was, and Harvard was. They were started as as, as t- trainee places for pastors. Today, at, at uh, Columbia University in Princeton, there's 30 liberal professors for every one conservative. Uh, the The one, the university with the most equal pe- is Pepperdine University. Now, I don't know whether they uh, ever checked with the, Her- Her- not Heritage, but Hillsdale College up in Michigan. But I would think that they would be more balanced up there. But it just goes to show you what's going on. Now, there's been all this corruption with how to get into these colleges, that wealthy people are paying off people to get their kids in these colleges. So just some final other thoughts uh, on this topic. There's 10 Democrats for every Republican among professors tw- 65 and older. But when you get below 65, Then it goes from a ratio of 10 to 1 to 22.7 to 1. you think you'd feel uh, a little under the microscope if you were the one? Uh, So 22.7 to 1, uh, and it says that group is primarily under the age of 36. So something its pretty crazy, something to think about, and something that you may want to go and talk to the campuses that you're thinking, thinking of uh, subjecting your kids to, because it's a horrible situation you're putting your kids in, in for. If you're, if you're running into no conservative viewpoint, and it's all liberal viewpoint, unless you're going to uh, somehow disrupt that. I, I don't think you're going to disrupt that. You're going to have to send your kid to a, a campus that is a stark breakaway from the the uh, the average campus out today. So you're, if you can find a technical school to send your kid to where they can just go, like I have friends that go to mechanic schools, UTI, uh, the heating and air schools. There's a lot of trade schools out there. They don't have to put up that baloney. People just want to go to work. They want to learn the trade, go to work. So uh, just uh, now along with that is I have a an article. You know, you maybe you are more forward thinking than I am. I'm just a slow learner. But I wondered with Amazon.com, the Amazon people, with them being so successful and being able to, I, I feel like when I order from Amazon, that almost when I hang up the phone, they're knocking at my front door. They deliver fast. I got prime. But I wondered, uh, you know, people are, are buying more and more online, aren't you? So I wondered at what point uh, will they have such a control in the marketplace in what whatever product they're handling that they'll then begin to start manipulating things. So you've heard that in communist countries and fascist countries they burn books and the reason they burn books is because they the reading of the word whether it's the bible or just a philosophical word that that undermines the current government uh the way governments can get around that is just burn the bibles right that's happened before or you could burn a book or you could say we're not going to allow this classic book to be used in the uh in the school anymore, so they they discard it, they recycle it, they burn it right but if they're if the books are on Amazon, they just don't offer them for you to buy, and so uh it's it's the essential of a book burning without burning the book they just say we don't we're not going to offer that it's kind of like saying. You know my concept of censorship would be somebody take your paper or what you have to say and then they twisted it, or they they won't show it. But in the, in this case, it's it's a little bit different. So the web giant has begun uh, become the dominant market player in the book sales, accounting for nearly 50 percent of physical and 83 percent of ebook sales in the U.S. That's Amazon. And Amazon has the power to effectively cut an author off from the vast majority of the books, uh, the books market. In other words, where am I going to sell my books? You write a book. Where am I going to sell it? You want to get it. You want to get into these uh, streams of salespeople. So uh, the interesting thing is that I'll I'll give you a book that's, that's been eliminated from Amazon and see why. See if you'd wonder why in early in early March. The online retailer band, uh, Amazon band, Mohammed's Koran. Why Muslims kill for Islam, a chronological Koran, and critique of Islamic religion, co-authored by British populist Tommy Robinson. So Tommy Robinson is a nationalist in Britain, and he wrote a book on on uh, the negative side. Of Islam because London is overwhelmed. Britain is over overrun uh, run with Muslims. So uh, in 2010, Amazon refused to take down a book uh, defending pedophilia. That's uh, adults having sex with children. You get that? They refused. They were people said, "Hey, we don't want books on pedophilia being sold," and they said, "Tough." we're just, we're, we don't judge books. We're just selling books. So, um, and they, they took, they took that stance at, at Amazon on first amendment grounds. So it says, here's the statement says, Amazon believes that it is censorship not to not sell certain books simply because we are, we or others believe their message is objectionable. However, they just eliminated this, uh, book on, the Quran, why Muslims kill for Islam. So it's said that the outcry was not enough to pressure Amazon into watering down its commitment to content neutrality when it came to pro pedophile books. In other words, books that talk about and encourage having sex with children. But it now takes only the slightest pressure from the for the tech giant to ban right-wing critiques of religion. Um, so, there, so Amazon is changing its tune. So le, let me tell you what's still available through Amazon. You can get Adolf Hitler's Mein Kampf. You can get the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx and Frederick uh, Engels. You can get both of those. You can get books by Louis Farrakhan, who uh, is racist and uh, hates the Jews. You can get all those, but you can't get uh, an other perspective on some of these, on some of these religions, and some of these situations and perspectives or behaviors. So uh, you might, if you're a big buyer at Amazon, or you. Uh, you have Amazon Prime, you might just shoot them a little email or a letter and question their uh, wobbly philosophy.
6: I used to be
2: the coyotes, cartels, drug dealers and human traffickers out of business. <laughs>
9: Why you looking like that, huh? Did Willie Brown not text you back? Is that why you are rolling your eyes? Or... Are you mad because Donald Trump want to get rid of the drug cartels? Are you working with the drug cartel? Are you working with the cartels? Are you taking money from the cartel, huh? Huh, Kingpin, Kamala Harris, huh? Somebody get the FBI on the phone, in the DEA, in the CIA. I want y'all to investigate her right
6: now. There we go, sweeties. I'm a mom, but that doesn't mean I don't like to have fun.
4: I drive a minivan, but
0: I can let loose a little too.
6: <laughs> I want to use heroin, but I also want to get stuff done. That's why I reach for Heroin AM, the only non-drowsy heroin on the market, so I can get jacked on Skag and then get to work. When
0: I would timeout Time Out to inject black tar heroin, there was almost a stigma about it. But with Heroin AM, I'm almost more alert than if I weren't on heroin.
6: Heroin use in America is steadily on the rise, but productivity among heroin users has remained stagnant. That's why Heroin AM combines heroin with five milligrams of caffeine and a small pile of cocaine. And now available in gummy bears, which you can melt down and inject. Side effects include, it's heroin. So, all that stuff. So now I can chase the dragon while I also chase this little guy. I'm going to get you.
0: <laughs> wow, this might be the first afternoon mom doesn't need a nap.
6: <laughs> <laughs> heroin AM, from the makers of Cocaine PM. I went from nodding off to nodding yes to more heroin. Now, who's ready for
10: school? Yeah! Oh man, oh man, why are you dreaming so mean? You're the meanest soul man that I ever seen. Guess if you say so, I have to pack my things and go. Hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back. Back. Don't
5: you come back no more. All right, welcome back. And uh, I thought I was uh, ahead of where, uh, or jumped over where I thought I should be, but uh, I just got discombobulated. So uh, we're in good shape. And I, I have a couple of clips today because I, I want to really help everyone get an understanding on what the whole concept of free enterprise. And free means not that you can just do whatever you want, but it's also free from the government interfering. So if you wonder why the government is always getting paid off and politicians are getting paid off by business, the reason is is that politicians are trying to interfere with business. It's kind of like the old mafia movies where you have this little mom-and-pop store, and a guy comes down and says, oh, we can provide you protection if you just give us $25 a month. And they said, no, thank you. We got this. And so as they walk out, they say, Are "You sure, you don't want protection. And then they, they bust that guy's windows out, right? And so what's happening in our country is that government is micromanaging all aspects of business. So what happens is then you turn around and find that business is now trying to fund Uh, lobbyists millions and millions and millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars and paying for political campaigns. If someone would stay off our back so you can look at the, the donors from uh, on political campaigns and you can see tobacco companies and liquor companies and pharmaceutical companies and fertilizer companies and all kinds of companies paying for politicians to run for office so they will leave them alone and they'll, or they'll make laws favorable to them and even give them a, non- a monopoly. So uh, it's interesting that when the, and this clip kind of teases it out, and I won't, I, I don't like show hosts where they go through and tell you what all the clip is and then you, then you have to listen to the tip, clip or they, you listen to the clip and then the guy repeats it all. But it's so fascinating that the the whole development of the Internet and all the platforms and Facebook and Google and all these amazing apps happened way far away from Washington, and most of them happened out on the West Coast. And now, as these Facebook and Google and Microsoft have become massive companies, very successful. And much of it was giving, like, I don't know, if if you got a Facebook page, if you're older, most of the young people left Facebook. But if you're older and you use Facebook, it's not costing you anything, right? So So you're getting a lot of free stuff. And these companies are making money some other way, like in ads. But you're happy getting free Facebook, communicating with people all over the world, right? So right now what's happening is people like Mark Zuckerman and others are making deals with the government so they will be regulated by government. What happ- and this is true in any business, making tires, making drugs, building buildings, big the big corporate giants in the media fields, whatever. The big corporate giants They cooperate with regulations because it actually keeps new little guys out because they can afford to fight the regulations or look for loopholes because they can hire all the attorneys to know what all the regulations are. The new guy or the new gal cannot. So let's listen. It's about a four minute, almost a four and a half minute clip called Enough Crony Capitalism. Now, crony capitalism, capitalism Is just where people can own their – the state doesn't own everything, but people own their own property, and then they go out and do business, and they provide. They find what other people need, and they provide for that need, and people then reward them for it by paying them for it and letting them make a profit because it's like one person gets their need met and the other person gets his need met. Capitalism. Crony capitalism is where politicians pick winners and losers, and they say, well, if you'll support me, like I don't know whether you remember Solyndra. If you remember Solyndra, that was a big uh, solar company that Barack Obama gave. His his uh, administration gave one half billion dollars to, uh, just gave them the money to run this business because solar is so wonderful. They turned around, took bonuses, and then closed the company down and filed bankruptcy. That's crony capitalism It's picking winners and losers. In that case, they rewarded uh, some people in Solyndra that had donated vast amounts of money to the Obama campaign. So that's happened over and over and over again throughout government where the government actually gives money to private industry. They give you and my tax dollars because the government doesn't generate any product on their own. They don't sell anything. They don't produce any service that they could that people find of any worth to give money to them. So they just take money. So let's listen to Stossel, Enough, Enough Crony Capitalism, and then we'll be right back.
6: Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg is calling for stricter regulation of the web.
0: Facebook wants new regulations. Mark Zuckerberg wrote an op-ed that said, Lawmakers often tell me we have too much power over speech and, frankly, I agree. We shouldn't make so many important decisions on our own. Wow, it sounds so self-sacrificing. But give me a break. Big companies tend to like regulation because it gives them an advantage over smaller competitors. After all, startups can't afford the squads of lawyers and compliance officers that Facebook employs. In France, they embedded officials inside the company.
7: My position is not that there should be no regulation.
0: Zuckerberg issued his call for regulation after spending hours being grilled by members of Congress.
7: I think the internet is increasingly embraced embrace important. regulation? I think the real question, as the internet becomes more important in people's lives, is what is the right regulation, not whether there should be or not. But you as a company welcome regulation? I think if it's the right regulation, then yes.
5: Zuckerberg's
0: no dope. He sees which way the wind is blowing. So would you work with us in terms of what
5: regulations you think are necessary in your industry? Absolutely.
0: So Facebook will work with politicians to shape regulation. What's sad is that if anyone should fight for permissionless innovation, it should be people like Mark Zuckerberg. It's no accident that the amazing wealth creation that brought us Facebook, Google, Instagram, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, smartphones, computers,
1: all happened in the two big metropolitan areas farthest from Washington, D.C. Microsoft in the early 1990s was the largest company in the world, incredibly successful. And they spent exactly zero dollars on lobbying, on cronyism, on lawyers. They had no presence in Washington, D.C. Not a single lawyer. Instead of spending money on lawyers and lobbyists,
0: they spent it on technology. But once politicians noticed their
1: success, they were literally brought in front of Congress. They were yelled at by a Republican, Arne Hatch from Utah. He said, you guys need to get involved here in Washington, D.C. You need to build a building here. You need to hire lawyers here. In other words, the unspoken text, you need to bribe me. And Microsoft walked out of the meeting and said, you know what, you leave us alone, we will leave you alone. We're we're busy. We're running the biggest company in the world. There's a lot
5: to do. The Justice Department has charged Microsoft.
1: Six months later, knocking the door at Microsoft, we're from the Justice Department. And we're here to prosecute you because you're offering the American public, you're offering your customers a product for free. This is Internet Explorer at a time when we were buying Netscape and paying money for it. They offered it for free, and that was deemed, you know, bad business practices. A they monopoly. were trying to, the monopoly. They were trying to dominate the market. For 10 years, they had to fight that lawsuit. They lost. They got regulated. They got controlled. Guess how much Microsoft spends today in Washington, D.C.? How much? Tens of millions of dollars. They have a beautiful building about equal distance from the White House and from, the, uh, from Congress. They have lawyers, they have lobbyists, they spend a lot of money, and indeed a lot of the other tech companies, like Google, learned the lesson. The lesson is, if you don't want
0: politicians destroying your business, practice self-defense. Go to Washington and give
1: the money, kiss their rings. Making sure to keep politicians at bay. So a lot of the lobbying, a lot of the so-called cronyism is self-defense. Yes, and Zuckerberg's acting in self-defense, but it's still ugly
0: and Silicon Valley's crony capitalism is a threat to future innovation.
1: But in fairness to Zuckerberg, he didn't start it. But let's remember where cronyism comes from. Cronyism occurs when government starts interfering in business, and then business has to defend itself. And as soon as it hires the lawyers and the lobbyists to defend itself, it quickly slips in to now gaining favors from the government who has all this power. If we really want to end cronyism, What we need to do is reduce the power of politicians over our lives, actually separate economics
5: from state. All right, so uh, when you have, after listening to Stossel, John Stossel, uh, I hope you can start seeing how this whole system is falling apart, uh, where government is managing every breath you take, every move you make, where you want to go uh, i i wrote an article for the territorial dispatch if you want to look at articles that we've written there you can go online it's territorialdispatch.biz <clears throat> i write two two a week uh, i can't quote you the date that i uh, that i wrote this but i wrote it on taxes and i listed over 90 different taxes that you pay you each person may not pay all 97 or 95 of them. I didn't list all there are, but I listed uh, you probably every person listening to the show today probably pays a majority of them. And they just you just pay on everything. And so a person, in fact, he's a retired police chief. Uh, in fact, he's a nice guy. I actually served as his chaplain at one time. He got frustrated when we were arguing on on the uh, social media about this raising a one percent raise sales tax by one percent, and his point was, hey, it only amounts to one penny on the dollar. But when you look at any tax, your income tax, whatever tax, a state tax, it all is pennies on the dollar. But at some point, you eat up all that hundred pennies of the dollar, and and there's nothing in the Constitution that says that we're we're uh, somehow patriotically uh committed or our loyalties being judged on giving i keep a penny you keep a penny the government i keep one you keep one i keep one you keep one in other words 50% tax right i get to keep 1 dollar you get, you keep a dollar right and so uh what's going on here is that business is just getting taken to the cleaners and when they, but in spite of getting taken to the cleaners that they become very successful because they've either created a product or service that people think is phenomenal. Like Microsoft programs or all the various programs and the amazing ways that it's changed our life from mapping where we're going to keeping track of our health to, helping us fix recipes that are good for us. I mean, it's incredible what's going on. So you can see the impact that it's happening and having on us and it's destroying, it's destroying our country. And the only reprieve we've had for many years, including under George Bush, but, uh, was under, is under Donald Trump. Whether you like it or not, if you don't like capitalism, Uh, you're not going to like anybody that represents that kind of lifestyle or way of doing business. But Donald Trump has been a breath of fresh air if if you're in the business of running a business, if you know how to run a business or you want to run a business, it's a lot easier under guys like Donald Trump. Now, the other day, I, I saw some people on the news making excuses on why Venezuela has failed. Now, I'll tell you, If you care about this country, you should stop what you're doing and study Venezuela because Venezuela was essentially the United States of South America. It's loaded with oil, vast amounts of oil, maybe one of the most rich countries with oil in the world. Uh, Certainly people like Saudi Arabia is very successful with that and the and, and America. But the Venezuelans had a middle class, they had a, um, in terms of the amount of money they earned and the the values in their society, they look, look, if you took a photo of them in the 1950s, it looked like America. The downtowns, the, the clothes that people wore, the cars that people drove, very successful, very booming economy. But for some reason, And this is so deceptive it and it all comes down to people not passing on their heritage to their kids or the school system passing on the heritage. But the um, the Venezuelans decided to vote for a socialist in Hugo Chavez. And even before that, they were leaning that way. And Hugo Chavez started to say, we're going to nationalize businesses. In other words, we don't believe in private business and we're going to take over the oil we're going to take over this. We're going to take over that. We're going to take over this. And what happened is the country crashed. Now, people, some of these news anchors recently said that it was just a couple bad decisions by people in leadership. And honestly, that is a total lie. She, either she's a liar or she doesn't know what she's talking about. What happened in Venezuela is a concerted effort by the leadership of the country to create a socialist country. And right now, that it is so bad there. In fact, it's been about eight months since I've I heard this. But the joke is that the new the previous dictator, if you will, or president was Hugo Chavez. He died, and a guy named Maduro M A D U R O took over. So some people just feel like Maduro made a couple. Business mistakes, uncalculated errors, poorly calculated errors, and that's the whole problem well it's not the problem at all. The problem is that when you have the government managing anything if you put if you put the production of bread or pasta or pizza or chicken or coconut milk in charge you you put the government in charge of it you're going to have you're going to have huge waste. You're going to have huge shortages, and you're going to have people go out of business. But with government, they never go out of business because they just go back and take more money from you. So the latest—so what I was going to tell you and then got off here a little bit is is Maduro, the new president that's been in it for a few years, they now call the, the new diet plan in Venezuela the Maduro Diet Plan. And the reason is, is because if you live under his leadership, you won't have enough to eat. And people have lost around 20 pounds apiece down there, the last I heard, because they're eating his diet, which is there isn't enough to eat in the country. Because there wasn't enough to eat and, not, and jobs failed, there wasn't any jobs, there weren't enough jobs because it was being poorly run. A poorly run business has to lay off employees or go broke. And so Venezuela is doing broke. They're laying off employees, and they're going broke, but they own everything. And uh, so the first thing they did was when they ran out of food is they started hijacking the tractor trailer rigs coming into the cities, and they would, they would just unpack the trailer, 52-foot 50, trailer, right outside the city, and they would just steal the stuff because when they went to the grocery store, The shelves were empty and the and the few things that were on there, they had to wait for maybe all day to get a few items because the entire supply chain broke down. So the next thing they did was they started eating pets and uh, they haven't started eating people yet, but they've been eating pets and they've been eating the zoo animals. Now they've they begin targeting cemeteries and you think, well, what in the world? You mean they're going to eat a corpse? No, it doesn't say that they're targeting cemeteries for potential income. Now, I don't know whether you've how you bury people. Sometimes people cremate their folks. Sometimes they bury them in a casket. Sometimes they bury valuables with people for whatever reason. I can't see the reason in that, but they do. So what's happening is grave robbers, there's an, an entire industry has sprung up where looters or grave opers, robbers, robbers uh, are finding jewelry. They're removing gold teeth and uh, skeleton remains that can be sold for use in various rituals. So in satanic rituals, witchcraft rituals, they use the skeletons. So people are opening up. This is how desperate, people get and it isn't just a bad decision or two so this guy says jorge lascano said this what's happening here is a result of social collapse a lack of education the loss of values in our homes and our institutions in recent years this county country has only focused on politics we have forgotten about the things that make us human Venezuela's dire humanitarian crisis has intensified in recent weeks amid a breakdown of the national electric grid. In other words, they just have parts of the day now, no lights, just like North Korea, no lights, socialist country. Uh, Many you can imagine if your power went out where you are. If you have if you have any paralysis or you have problems getting around, you don't have your own vehicle, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. When you have a crisis at that level, uh, people just are dying left and right. Uh, the task of managing the remains of the deceased has long been an issue in the crisis stricken country, because they can't keep corpses down in the ground; they just steal all their stuff. The other thing that's happening is. When someone dies in the United States, in the big cities, they take them to a morgue, a city morgue or county morgue, a place they store bodies, do examinations, see what the cause of death was, <clears throat> then, then prepare the person to go have a funeral. However, there's so many dead people and nobody prepared to bury them. That morgues are struggling to handle the sheer number of arriving dead bodies, many of whom uh, have died as a result of violence or lack of basic medical care. A report from Venezuela's Observatory of Violence, published last December, murder rates actually fell over 2018 because violent criminals... Join the millions of people fleeing the country's economic and social or economic and humanitarian crisis. So you want that in California. That's where we're headed here in California and any state that's being ruled by Democrats, whether you have a Democrat governor or you have a Republican governor where you have a Democrat. uh, Assembly and Senate. It's uh, it's it's bad. It's really bad. And it's not like we all started out from scratch and all everybody in all the world struggled and some made it because they just had this divine appointment or something. No. What this is, is just they had it going great. They had it going amazingly great in Venezuela. And now they are uh, they're on the rocks. And it's going to take generations to put that country back together. It's very, very difficult. Um, So but you'll never hear it in the local media because they don't want to admit that socialism doesn't work. They're all they're all in. They're in for this socialism bent that uh, Barack Obama is on and the rest of the, the Democrat Party. So that's just the way that is. So uh, let me get back to John. Uh, oh, let me mention this first. I want to, another sponsor we have is uh, Ted Holmes with the plumbing doctor. And they used to drive, when I first met the plumbing doctor, they drove a vehicle that was shaped like an ambulance, the big box-back ambulances. And they were red and white, so any time I needed them over here, my friends would call me because they'd be driving by, and they'd think that the 911, Medical people were here that I had a heart attack or something. I said no, just my toilet did so uh but the plumbing doctor operates here in Yuba, sutter Yuba Sutter counties, and they support our program, and uh they also help me whenever I have a water problem uh the sprinklers outside, I got it, but the problem of anything inside or you know one of the problems is is my I got a a guy across the street here. That about every few months he has to have a snake, you know, the snake thing that goes around and around and cuts whatever is in the way out of it. Uh, He has to clean up his uh, exit pipe that drops everything in the sewer about every few months because the roots or whatever is going on or, or maybe the whole the tube or the whole pipe is collapsed. But that's when, you know, uh, that's when you really want a guy like Ted Holmes because he can replace that whole tube or that pipe all the way into the sewer. And you won't have to you won't have to wait a week uh, for him to get it done or a fortune to get it done. He'll get it done quickly. In fact, they respond night and day. So we want to thank Ted for uh, doing that and uh, appreciate his work and. He's always done good work for me. In fact, he saved me money. If you're if you're in the city of Marysville, you pay water prices that are four to five times, three to four times, maybe five times higher than Oliver's, Linda, or Yuba City. Why? Because the water is more expensive for them to buy? No, Cal Water Service doesn't pay one penny for the water it sells us they are that water's coming right from under us not out of the river we're not borrowing it from the river we're getting it right in what they call out of an aquifer it's like an underground uh swimming pool big old thing and and so they get that water out of there they check it for how clean it is if they notice something in it they fix it and uh so but that's uh what you get for Cal Water is it costs us three, four, five times, right? So one day I had uh, the plumbing doctor, they came in and uh, they were fixing something. They said, Lou, you got these toilets, they're like they were built at the time of the, you know, when Abraham Lincoln was president or something like that. They said, These things, they're sucking too much water. They're using up seven or eight gallons every time you flush them. I said, Why don't you replace them then? So they replaced them. And it cut the cost between uh, a little uh, benefit I got from replacing with a uh, a toilet that used a lot less water, plus using less water. It's it's a fortune here. It's uh, like when you turn the tap on, it's like gold coming out. So if you want to save some money, or, or um, if you want to clean out, and and th- they got these amazing things right now that you can you can run a a, a snake or a tube down your uh sewer and it's got a camera and it like take it it takes a whole movie in there. It tells you just what's that down in there. And so they can do that all for you and help you. So Ted Holmes, 671 9111 530, 671 9111 And you can uh get yourself uh some help on your plumbing. Whenever I I don't even hesitate, man. I just get them out here and get me fixed up. So. um, All right. So. Let me just get here and I mentioned earlier about an article from the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, Will California Taxpayers Ever Pay Enough? It's by John Kupal. John writes great articles. He they are the cutting edge of what's going on with taxes in the state of California. And they have lots of good resources on their website h t h j t a dot org howard jarvis taxpayers association dot org send them some money i i give to them and uh, i feel good about every time i write the check because i know that they're fighting a big battle for me now check this out uh and i know you all you refugees that are listening to this podcast over there in uh in idaho you're just gonna like be rolling your eyes and saying we're so glad we left so john Coupall says since january new tax increase proposals now this is after the road taxes went up right that our local politicians said oh don't repeal the road taxes right so have we got better roads no they're not only did we not repeal the road taxes, but they're going to borrow $9 million with a payback over 10 years and pay $1.1 million in interest in 10 years. Is it unbelievable to you? So, but since all that and a huge surplus in the state, since January, just a couple months ago, new ca- tax increase proposals include a tax on soda, Another one on car batteries, another one on residential water use, another word one on firearms, car tires, pain medication, oil severance, inheritance, and sales tax on services. Now, if you've noticed like the service um, that you that you get done, like for instance, if somebody gives a tune-up on a car or whatever. You you have to pay tax on the parts, but you don't pay on the labor. What what they mean on services, they mean they're going to tax you on the labor that was provided to you. Is that incredible? In fact, this franchise tax board, they used to call it, not the franchise tax board, but the uh, Board of Equalization, BOE. Now they have a fancy name for it. They got rid of the BOE because they thought it was too favorable to taxpayers, too fair. So say you're a business back somewhere, outer Slumbodia in the United States, and you're selling products through Amazon. But like you go on Amazon, you say, I want that, but it's not even Amazon that responds. It's somebody else. Before an internet sale, you wouldn't pay any tax on it. But now what they're doing, because that product sometimes has to sit some of that product is maybe moved over into Sacramento area where there's an Amazon distributing spot. So this tax bureau is going to these little businesses in the Midwest and saying, you owe us a gigantic amount of money because you didn't charge tax on any of your sales. And some of those people are, are owing ten, twenty, thirty, four thousand dollars in taxes. And they're saying, you know, we're going to have to close our business. That's that's California for it for you. So sales tax on services, like uh, it's on any kind of service work that you get charged labor on, there's got to be taxes on that labor. Um, so he John Kapal also goes on and talks about uh, the attempt to take out Prop 13, and they're calling it ACA1 assembly constitutional amendment number one and john calls it a direct attack on prop 13 well i run out of time here so we're going to take a little break and uh, then we'll be right back <music>
4: I know the truth about Benghazi. I was there, fighting alongside five Americans who were all raised to believe that if you have a chance to save someone's life and you don't try, that's more criminal than anything else. So we fought for 13 hours and we saved lives, but we are not unique. We are no different than the Americans who ran back into those crumbling New York Towers or the Americans who tackled the armed terrorists on that French train, or the many faceless, nameless Americans who every day risk their lives for perfect strangers, trapped in burning cars or dangerous waters. Because if they didn't, no one would. Where was that courage among the politicians who had the power to make a difference during those 13 hours in Benghazi? I am the National Rifle Association of America, and I'm freedom's safest place.
10: Life. A Bible says, Before I found you in a womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I stepped you apart. Jeremiah 1 5 For you were created, my enveloped being. You knit me together in my mother's room. I praise you because I am fearfully. Free, free, and once we made, your works is wonderful. I know that full well. My friend was not hidden from you when now was made in a secret place. And I was thrown together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my one-formed body. All the days were gained for me. There was written in your book for one of them came to be. Psalm 139, 14, from 16. For I know the parents I have for you. Here's the Lord. Parents were passed for you, for not to harm you. Parents to give you hope in the future. Jeremiah 29, 11.
9: All
5: right, welcome back, and I wanted to again say, give a shout out to all the refugees from uh, this Yuba-Sutter counties in Northern California that have headed out to other states for uh, greener pastures in a number of ways. Less regulation, less taxes. In fact, I was talking to my friend this week, the 19-year-old, I was talking about wanting to start college, and, and uh, so she was saying, you know, what, what's the difference between these other states and California? Like, what di- you know? You know why, why are you wanting the state of Jefferson? I thought, oh, to be 19 again. Amazing. So we started talking about the gun rights. She says, oh, what do we need a gun for? you know, never been taught about the Constitution, right? The Bill of Rights, about the fact that you have a right to own a weapon to take the government back over, which was the concept back then. Didn't get any of that in school. All she got was that the, the polar bears weren't going to be able to have sex because there wasn't going to be any ice to stand on. Uh, it's just, it's sad, the dumbing down of our... Uh, our people, but that's that's just the way it is. So, way to go out there! And uh, is it Hagerman out there in Idaho? You can give me a shout out. Uh, the Fritz family out there that uh, moved, and then other people just keep moving over there themselves. So, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. I don't want to bring up his names involved in law, law enforcement, um, but he's been in contact uh, regarding down on the border <clears throat> with the sex trade and there's sex trade everywhere right and young girls um we used to just think of it as young girls in Vietnam or Thailand Cambodia Laos being preyed upon because they were very poor and even their parents sometimes got them involved in it but sometimes they're poor and they're out on the streets they don't know what to do and so they get hustled into these these situations and uh so it actually goes on here. In fact, when they did a sting here, they got the 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 phone calls came in so rapidly from predators that it overwhelmed their ability to follow up on them. So they just put a stop to it and arrested thirty or forty people. If you remember back a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I think maybe two thousand sixteen, uh, Sutter County did a sting with a, it was a uh, combo agency. So <clears throat> one of the guys that was a key fellow in that, in that, uh, that helped in that set up That sting was a guy with the last name of bollard B U L L A R D. So today on, on, uh, the internet, I saw him being interviewed. I think it was either on one of the, well, it was, it, it, I don't know that it was Fox News, but it was one of the major news networks about what's going on down at the border. And it's so fascinating that the uh, you know you hear all these people. It's not a crisis. It is a crisis. It's not a crisis. It is a crisis. The fact is, it is a crisis. And the people that saying it's not, whether whatever party they're from, uh, the reason they're saying that is it's all a political statement. It has nothing to do with reality. It just are just playing political games. And so now all of a sudden, a number of Democrats are starting to say, "Oh, we really have a crisis down there." Well, what's happened in the last two months that wasn't happening? the last two years, nothing different. It's just the weakness of the United States is showing through, not because of of the president of the United States, but because of, uh, Congress members that are unwilling to like fulfill their, uh, their constitutional oath to the people, protect the, the country. And, um, so I interviewed a lady that we had met in a Yuba County jail at one time who was, uh, Uh, granted a type of asylum in the United States because they felt like if they sent her back to Mexico, she was going to be killed by the cartel or something. And uh, she was a smuggler of people and actually a a transporter of heroin in the United States. And when I had her on the radio here, oh, I don't know, months ago now, maybe six, eight months ago, she, you know, to listen to politicians, is so funny when compared to what, when you talk to an actual person that's involved in drug activity and smuggling people at the border, and they just say, Lou, they're just lying. These people are lying. And so she described a situation at the border where they would purposely... She said, Lou, what they need at the border is they need a wall, and they need lots more agents because they said we would climb the existing wall, and we knew when to climb it because we would watch the... The pattern of uh, traffic or activity by we knew which border agents were which, working where, and when they, you know, they don't have them lined up shoulder to shoulder. So when they moved from where they were, we just crossed at that po- at that moment, and we had moved ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty people through. And she said the other the other thing that that is crazy. She said when we had children, we would just walk right up to the agents. Uh, border Patrol, and we would we would put the kids in front of us on purpose to use them as a ploy because, and, and then ask for asylum, and then it would put them in a predicament. So this, uh, because they would take these kids, and then they wouldn't want to separate them, and they were in a predicament. So ultimately, she said they would release the kids and the families inside the United States to wait to go to trial. Is that crazy or what? There's just no border there. And so um, this Bullard, I I can't remember whether his name was Tim or Tom Bullard. I can't remember his name, but anyway, last name Bullard who helped on this sting in, in the Sutter County area. He is now working internationally on stings. And he said that basically these smugglers are taking advantage of this whole children's thing. And when the, uh, immigration are releasing these kids back into Mexico. The people are taking, claiming the children that aren't even, they don't have anything to do with them. They're just going to use them in the sex trade. So he's advocating for DNA testing. So if you, if I said I, I had five kids there or two kids there and I went to pick them up to return to Mexico, uh, I would have to produce... They'd have to swab my mouth and do a quick DNA test and match it to the kids to let me have them. Right now, they just they just give them to people. So this Bullard's saying that's a way that sex traffickers and perverts are gobbling up on kids because these people are rushing the border, and then when they return them, uh, turn them down, the wrong people are getting the kids. It's just totally chaotic. So it's so disheartening to me to me, even beyond the politics and the Democrats versus the Republicans or liberals versus I just like people to be honest for once, so they- pre- portrayed donald trump's policies as destroying families and and separating kids uh, but i I just watched a uh, or or looked at an article that showed some uh important officials from the United States walking through a facility uh, designed by not Trump, but by the Obama administration uh, that was chain link fence inside a building. The building was the outside of the building was solid and roof, but inside the building it was divided up in chain link fences and large areas of dorms. <clears throat> and uh, supposedly they The parents were separated from kids. So what the story is on a lot of those situations where you have dorms and kids are there with their parents and with other people is kids get violated. But the article says that President Trump said Tuesday that illegal immigrants and migrants can... Continue flooding in the United States and defended his enforcement policies, telling reporters that the infamous cages, in quotes, used to hold migrant children were built by President Obama's administration. But the fact is that Democrats and the press or the media that has now become a political party in themselves, uh, they know that, but they don't want you to know that. They just want to portray, they want to say anything they can to undermine the President of the United States. I saw Trump on a clip earlier today, and he said what was done with the Mueller investigation was simply treason. It was treason. It is treason. What was done by the FBI and the CIA, Brennan, McCabe, Strock, Page, Mueller, Comey, on and on and on, it was an attempt to overthrow the government. It was an attempt to install a president who... The people did not want as president. Trump says people are coming to the border like it's a picnic, because it's like going to Disneyland. He said. In other words, uh, I saw a an interview with Michelle Malkin on the border, where the the place that they were holding children looked like a fancy public school. They had internet. They had electronic games. They had doctors. They had a better situation than our kids in our local uh, cities have food. They had entertainment. They just, it was an amazing thing. So he says they're coming like it's a picnic. Let's go to Disneyland. He said, expressing his frustration with the ongoing struggle to secure the border. Isn't it amazing? The president is trying to do what, what he's actually ordered to do by our Constitution and with the very people that you and I elected to support him to do that are trying to undermine him. It doesn't matter which party. Both parties are. Uh, Trump told reporters he was not looking to reinstate child separation policies despite reports from the White House suggesting that he would do it. Uh, although he admitted that separating them was effective, what's he mean by this? When you separate children, because when you have children with people <clears throat> other than their parents, weird things happen. People molest kids. Weird things happen. If you'll notice, how many illegal immigrants? I'm not. I've never seen a study that says Mexicans are molesting more people than white people are. But the fact is, there's a huge amount of of adult child sexual behavior going on with with illegals in this country. It happens every day. It's incredible. And it and the other thing that happens every day is a huge amount of of just ignoring the law altogether. I was talking to a guy in jail this week. And he says, I think I'm going to go back to Mexico. That doesn't mean he's going to stay there. He just, his people are in in California. He said, I think I'm going to self-deport. He's been staying at Yuba County Jail for three years, trying to beat his case to not be deported. I want you to just think about this for a minute. This guy's, if you meet him, he's a nice guy. He's cordial. But he has a rebellious streak, and he said, if I go, if I send across the border, I'm just coming back, and I'm going to move back on my family. And I said, well, why don't you tell me, you never have said, why you got arrested in the first place? He said, I had four DUIs, and then I pulled a gun on a guy in a bar, and they, and they uh, so I did prison time for that, At four DUIs. And then I did the bar thing. I was back in the bar, and I got into it with a guy and pulled a gun on him. And so he did prison time for that. I want you to think about that. You think, well, that happens in the United States with our own people. Yeah, it does, but we're stuck with our own people, right? You're stuck with your own people. In other words, we, we don't deport people that were born here or they became citizens here. Even if they slit people's throat for a living, we keep them somewhere. And uh, if Gavin Newsom has anything to do with it, we'll take care of him till they drop dead, right? So this guy says, and, and my, my hunch is that this guy will drink and drive when he leaves. He will do it again. He will do it once again. I don't see any remorse or his desire to go into a rehab or anything. I think he'll do it again. So is it going to be your kid or you that gets run over by a drunk driver where the guy is is illegal and been deported numerous times. So we need help on the border, but the fact is that most of the nation doesn't even understand how that border is operating and what's going on. Uh, He says, Trump says, when you don't do it, in other words, when you don't take care of business on the border properly and efficiently, it brings a lot more people to the border, and we don't want to encourage people to come up here. So some people are suggesting even put immigration judges right down in the in the institutions along the border, not up up in San Diego. Move them down, not up in San Francisco or Sacramento. Get them down on the border and swiftly meet out the justice and kick them back into their own country. Why let them languish up here for years? Uh, Trump said. Uh, that that the Obama administration separated children at the border and put them in cages. And so when you look, when I looked at the pages, you've seen kennels, outdoor kennels for dogs. They're concrete floors. And then they got uh, cages around them, right? Uh, That's just the way they're built with with steel pipe, right? And the... uh, and the wires, uh, and you see fences made like that all the time. So that's what they, That's they, they're not small cages. They're big rooms that are just, they're sectioned off. Now here's the problem. Some of the people coming to the border are criminals. Would you like to be housed with, with your family? Like when I was in Hong Kong in, in the early 90s, There were 10, 20, 30,000 Vietnamese there living in big Quonset huts in the city of Hong Kong, outside the city of Hong Kong, fighting their case. And they were, I'm telling you, there were thousands of people all living together, not separated. But you could have access to anybody's kids. There's no privacy. Zero. It's pretty gnarly. Uh, So anyway, Trump says... Take a look. The press knows it. You know it. We all know it. Those cages that were shown—I think they were very inappropriate. They were built by President Obama's administration, not by Trump. I'm the one that stopped it. President Obama had child separation. You know, I saw a, a post on the on the uh, Facebook. I don't know whether it's true or not, but I found it interesting to comment. And I and I. I'm old enough to reflect upon numerous presidents. I think the first president <clears throat> that I was actually pretty conscious of was President Eisenhower after World War II. Who, president Eisenhower was a military leader during World War II. And but because I followed the president, so one president stays in for a term or two, then another president comes. And the typical courtesy was that the next the President that just left retired, whatever you want to say, got defeated or retired, termed out he would not comment positive or negative usually just he just wouldn't comment about the the actions of the next president, even if they weren't of the same party they just would it was a courtesy, but it's fascinating how Obama uh, does everything he can to undermine Trump. He started in the very beginning lying about him and he he keeps it up. In this comment and a photo of Obama, I think it came through as a post on Facebook. It noted that it said he was the first president. And I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't living all those other years, way back, way back, 100 years. He was the first president that had left office and now was trying to undermine the current policies of the next president. Something to think about. At what point do you call things treason? Like what, what the group I described earlier, Comey, the FBI, the CIA, the Department of Justice, people are up to no good. People that we trust and we rely on and we we really expose ourselves completely to them and give us huge amount give them a huge amount of authority over us. So Trump says, I said, uh, I never said I'm cleaning house. I don't know who came up with the expression talking about the uh, the secretary uh, of Homeland Security, Kirsten Nielsen. I think she was a holdover from the Obama uh, administration, which I think was fine. I always wondered about her, whether she was strong enough on border security. Uh, She didn't seem to be. But I don't even know why she was let go. But the fact is, he has a right to let people go whoever he wants. And uh, his comment was, "We have a lot of good people in that department." He said, "I'm not cleaning house." So I guess the active Department of Homeland Security secretary is a Kevin McAllenan, uh, or McAllenan. And he think, he says, "I think he's going to do a good job." Listen, uh, people, w- whatever's being said by the different Political factions against Trump—they're just saying whatever they want to say. It's not based on facts. And uh, the what's happening at the border is being driven by the cartel. Now, I have—I had—I had a discussion last night, sitting in my front room with a lady that who who was shot, who, whose friends were shot by the cartel and killed, co-workers. They were all packaging drugs, kilos, to bring across the border. You can go to work at Taco Bell in Marysville when you're 13, 14, 15, I guess. I don't know what year you can start. But down there, you go to work, you can go to work for the cartel and make more money, and you can package drugs, and you don't even have to do any drugs. So I was having a discussion with this lady last night who did that at one time, and we were talking about another lady who was in L.A. and needs some help. And she was allowed to be released by an immigration judge in the United States, but she has no work permit. And in passing, she just mentioned her brother was killed by the cartel. And the, and I was in the jail last night, Yuba County Jail, where there's about 160 immigration inmates. And one of the ladies in there showed me a photo a couple of weeks ago of two of her family members, young brothers, probably looked like they were 25, and both of them were killed in Ensenada by the cartel. So I don't know what the—I quoted the murder uh, statistics for Tijuana or that upper Baja, the northern Baja region. It's phenomenal. There's like thousands of murders have happened all already uh, this year. It's, it's just uh, amazing the amount of murders. And so I'm meeting people. You know, it's one thing like I mentioned the other day when you hear about a trend in society or, uh, usually I'm so far behind in trends or ways of doing things. And it's interesting. Most of the time I'll hear about a trend, but I don't know anybody that's doing that. So you wonder who's all doing that if it's such a hot idea. But now, uh, like I mentioned, people leaving the state of California, I know all kinds of them. And they're all communicating with me from my latest guy that moved to Missouri, sold his house and moved to Missouri. And, and uh, only spent about half the money that he had in his house here. He spent and got a lot bigger deal or better deal in Missouri. Uh, but uh, the point I'm making is I'm meeting all kinds of people that the cartel has, has killed their people. Now, if you think that the uh, the Mexican criminals think like you do, and you're a citizen that pays your taxes and has your kids in soccer, playing baseball. You behave, you, you stop at red lights. You don't drink and drive. You behave yourself. Um, you got another thing coming. They don't think like this. So it's interesting how the media constantly changes what's being said. For instance, uh, during the, uh, when Trump first got into office, I think, or maybe it was before he got in, he called the MS-13 gang members. I think they're out of El Salvador. Uh, he called them animals. But the, the media took that statement and said that he was referring to all immigrants, which was a total lie. But they, if you're not familiar with MS-13, they're a little bit different than the average Gang member. The average gang member today, compared to like the 1950s or 60s, they will just do a drive-by and shoot you, right? The average in the 50s, 60s, they would fist fight and maybe stab you, but it was more you were engaging physically as opposed to sucker punching or having five guys jump on one guy. The MS-13... They like to make a point of mutilating somebody. So they'll take a guy down and stab him 60 times. Or they'll slit a gal's throat, right, all the way across. Or they'll do something torturous to a person, right? They'll torture a person. So that's why, you know, there's murders, there's manslaughter. You you hit a person, you didn't expect to kill him, but you just lucked out and knocked him totally out of the universe. You took him out of the ballgame. But that's not MS-13. So Trump is actually, he's one of the few people, I don't really care whether you like him or not, but here's what I like about him. He actually tells it like he feels it, right? And so if if they're an animal, like an animal is a unique type of criminal, an animal. But the media lied about it and put out over the entire 330 or 40 million people we got here that he was considering everybody coming across that border. That was one of the first things that just got people all lathered up. In fact, some of my friends got all lathered up that are Mexican. And they called him a racist and this and that and the other thing. He's Honestly, it was just it was, I, they lost their minds over the deal. So he called it the way he saw it and he did the right thing. And the MS-13, now my feeling as a Christian guy, I think anybody can change. And that's where a lot of even Democrats aren't on that page or Gavin Ma- uh, Gavin uh, Newsom. But the fact is, I think MS-13 people can get converted and changed. That doesn't mean that we should just ignore the fact that they butchered somebody and cut off their arms, right? But my point is that the people, you know, it's interesting. The people that you let in the country may not be interested in your way of living at all, like the Muslims aren't. They are not interested in having a Judeo-Christian ethic. In fact, they hate Jews. You got that? And so at one time, in order to qualify to come into the country, you had to show some interest in embracing the values and beliefs of the country. You didn't have to converse to be a Jesus freak, but you had to embrace the country the patriotism, the flag, you had to learn the star spangled banner, you had to learn maybe the the uh, the bill of rights, some about the constitution, you had to learn about the a little bit about the government, how it operates. But today, it's it what we have is it what Europe has. And Europe has a situation where people are coming into that country and they want to bring uh they want to bring their Muslim country to Europe and live in a country that was established and built and pro- prospered under capitalism and Christianity, basically. But they want to bring a backward society out of Saudi Arabia or northern Africa. They want to bring it into Europe, and they want to bring it in here. And, and the same way with Mexico. You have people in Mexico that, that don't think right. And so that doesn't mean uh, they're fine being down there. But the question is, we're not obligated. And and we never had had been obligated under immigration law to bring them in here. So when this guy, I meet guys in the jail all the time. The problem is a lot of you don't meet them. You don't know them. I know them. I know what they've done. I don't get to know a lot of the murders because they don't let them into my classes. But I know guys that have done some beat up their women uh one guy was a a murderer right and but but he'd done his time for murder, but the government now was saying the United States I don't know whether we want that guy he never was a citizen if if these people were citizens, you wouldn't have any choice so uh anyway i I just think the whole thing is a uh a fascinating situation that uh, needs to be resolved.
9: Was the only we got to way to find... I gotta make an announcement. I am running to be the first black president of the united states of america when trump is out of office i will be running as the first black president obama was not the he is not the first black president okay he is not the first black president he is mixed he's mixed with white and some other stuff he is not the first black president i will be the first black president i'm all black I'm black as it can get, okay? I'm talking about fried chicken, meatloaf eating, barbecue sauce eating, hot sauce drinking, black as it can get. And Tommy Laren will be my vice president. Diamond and Silk will be the White House press secretary. They will be them. And Milo will be secretary of state. They will be that. But I'm running. And you better and check this out. And when I become president, I am drug testing everybody who wants food stamps. Oh, you want food stamps? Drug test. Oh, you oh you want Section 8? Drug test. Oh, you want to be on welfare? Drug test. Yeah, you getting drug tested. And then if your ass is on food stamps, every two weeks you gotta show proof that you've been looking for jobs and filling out out and filling out applications. And guess what? You can't say you're not getting hired because you're black or white. Because you know what? When I run, I am making it a law to take race out of there, race will not be you. they will not be able there will not be a checkbox a check for race. It will be out of there when I become president. Okay? And another thing I'm going to be doing hold on. Let me get a drink of my, hold on. And one more thing. But another thing, we have discrimination laws, okay? It is a law to not discriminate in the workplace. So the NAACP, I'm shutting that shit down. It gotta go. The NAACP is out of here. We don't need you no more. We don't need you. We got we got discrimination laws, okay? It's against the law to discriminate now. So we don't need y'all no more. They got laws in place. So the NAACP is gone. I'm taking Al Sharpton. I'm filing charges on Al Sharpton. He going to jail. Al Sharpton is going to jail when I become president, and you can bet money on that. And guess what? O.J. Simpson, if he is out of jail, out of prison, when I'm president, O.J. getting life in prison because guess what? O.J. did it. I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna figure out how to get how to make he gonna he gonna get life. Okay, but when I become president. All this race baiting BS is gonna stop. It ain't gonna be no more of this race baiting BS. It's gonna stop. Ain't gonna be no blaming the whites. You ain't gonna be ba- you ain't gonna be blaming the blacks. You're not gonna be blaming the Mexicans. Ain't nobody gonna be blaming nobody. And guess what? Huh? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I'm gonna make a National Chicken Day. It's gonna be a ho- no, You're gonna it's gonna be a federal holiday to be off to celebrate chicken. I ain't lying. You're gonna get a day out of work. Okay, Walmart gonna shut down. Everything gonna shut down. Everybody gonna have a chicken on their porch on a National Chicken Day. It's gonna be a federal holiday. And Barbie is gonna I'm gonna have a, a federal day for barbecuing. Everybody get to be off to have a day of barbecue with your family, okay? We need America on barbecue like we used to. We everybody gonna be barbecuing again when I become president. I'm doing that right now. But when I run, y'all, I ain't playing no games. I'm shutting a lot of stuff down. Uh, my fact, my fact. I might not. I'm gonna be like Trump. Trump and them don't. They don't even want to live in the White House. I might not even live in the White House. Matter of fact, I might kick everybody's ass out the White House. Okay? Save y'all tax dollars. They can put me in some damn apartment, okay? Put me in a condo. An apartment. Save that money. We don't need all them extra-ass people in the White House running up the bills, running up people's tax money, you know, dra- draining people's pocket. We don't need all that. So, I'm cutting all that out. Mm-mm. Well... I need y'all to vote for me for when I do run, cause when I run, I ain't playing no games, and I am labeling the KKK, Black Panthers, Black Lives Matter, anything, any organization that is race we, that is race related. I is is nothing but just your race. That's all you worried about. Black Lives Matter, the KKK, I am listing all of them as a terrorist group when I become president of these United States of America. I just need people to vote for terrorists. Vote for me, baby, okay? Vote for me, because I'm going to keep America great again, okay? But anyways, everybody have a great day. Have a great weekend. Be safe. I will be coming on live more. I've been gone for a minute, but I'm back And I'll be posting some more stuff because I got some stuff I got to say. So I'll be back, but I got to go.
5: All right, we're here in our uh, last segment today. And um, you heard old Terrence Williams there at the break uh, saying he's going to be the first black man running for president. So I hope that entertained you. Terrence Williams is very funny. And so we'll see what Terrence is going to be up to. Sometimes I think, you know, we've had these guys that uh, over the years, over the five years we did radio, we had these guys that would uh, come on and be, they'd do a rant and then they disappeared. I don't know whether they got intimidated or somebody threatened their life, but they would do a rant. And we had a number of them, male and female. Uh, And... Terrence has kind of disappeared every once in a while. He's got intimidated. He's black, and I and he doesn't come across with a the typical plantation mentality. So uh, he's probably taking some blowback, or we say some heat from uh, from people uh, that don't like his uh, outspoken behavior. So uh, I want to talk a, a little bit about, and I I want to play a clip here. It's about five minutes that. Uh, you know, a lot of things in in society, you just you get born into the country and you get raised in it, and and you just ex, you get raised in th- however things are. This is what you get introduced to, right? Kind of like when I I wasn't raised as a Christian and I got converted and I started attending church, and and the church I attended, I thought, oh, probably every church is like like this church, but I soon realized that I was in a very different type of church and. Churches are very different from one another. So you just know what you know, and that's all you know. And uh, But back in the day, my dad ran a business. He owned his own business and ran a business for 42 years, a meat-cutting business. And it's a small business. And he complained to me every once in a while about a lot of laws and regulations and the union and stuff like that. But I, it would be fascinating if we could have a conversation today But because I don't think he would recognize that every time you want to do anything, you've got to go get a license or a certificate. We used to go out and get a hunting license. Somebody told me the other day that a fishing license in California costs $200. You'd have to do a lot of fishing to try to get your money back out of that deal because you can buy a lot of fish for $200. So this next clip is... Uh, The title of it is "Why Do You Need a License to to Blow Dry Hair?" And uh, there's something going on in the Arizona is not uh, a super conservative state that's super kind to business, but they got a governor named Governor Ducey D U C E Y that is really fighting against government bullying. And uh, I want to play this clip and then I'll make some comments on it as, as we come back.
8: Looking for a job as a makeup artist, teaching ballroom dancing or blow drying hair? In some parts of the country, you'll need government certification before anyone can pay you for these services or face jail time. Occupational licensing laws, which apply to one in three U.S. jobs, restrict consumer choice by protecting businesses from competition. They also impose substantial costs on job seekers. Arizona has one of the nation's most heavily regulated labor markets, but now the state's businessman-turned-governor Doug Ducey, who's the former CEO of Coldstone Creamery, has made occupational licensing reform a priority.
2: What I wanted Arizona to be is the best place in the country to live, work, and do business, and part of that is beginning a business as well as scaling a business, and that was our focus on improving that that structure of of government and really stopping the the bullies that were part of the boards and commissions.
8: Since occupational licensing laws are particular to each state, if you're a certified hair dryer, say in Virginia, that doesn't mean you can move to Arizona and just start working. First, you have to complete a thousand hours of training before you can obtain a state cosmetology license. Governor Ducey is backing a new law that would change that.
2: Just because somebody packs up that moving van in Chicago, Illinois, they don't lose their skills on the way to the state of Arizona. So why should somebody have to suffer a burden of thousands of dollars or weeks or months of recertification in a skill that they already have? We had a tough time figuring out how many regulations there are in the state of Arizona. With a Cracker Jack staff, it took us probably 18 months to figure out there were 11,000 regulations in the state.
8: In 2017, Ducey issued an executive order requiring that state licensing boards review and provide justification for rules the governor's office deemed excessive. The next day, he signed the Right to Earn a Living Act, which restricted state boards from issuing any new occupational licensing rules that couldn't be justified on health and safety grounds.
2: I think it's important that we remember who the voters are and who the citizens are, and we're here to serve them. Too many of these boards and commissions exist to stop competition, to stifle and protect the status quo, and we're changing that in Arizona.
6: My issue is that uh, we don't really know what the standards are in these other states. And so why should we dumb down our standards uh, just to deregulate, basically. I mean, I see this as sort of deregulation for the sake of deregulation.
8: Representative Pamela Powers Hanley of Tucson is opposed to the legislation.
6: What I see here is, you know, over and over and over again, you know, throwing out uh, licenses and certifications. And uh, there was other bills that were proposed in the House this year that would go even farther than this as far as deregulating occupations. And I think at some point, it gets a little risky for the populace.
8: How so? I mean, because if, you if you're have, if you successful in another state doing this, I mean, it's not like those skills don't stop well, when you
6: come into the state. Well, yes, but with this, we're only asking for one year of experience. I mean, what what's the definition of successful? And then also, how are we checking up on these people? What about
8: this idea of public safety? Because I do think there's a fear that you're actually going to attract people from states that have lower standards than Arizona.
2: Public health and public safety is always going to be a priority for this administration. We're going to work with the individuals that are coming and with the licensing boards in which they came from to make sure that we're making good decisions. But I'm confident with the legislation we have, with the guardrails and details that it involves, that we'll be bringing qualified people here and then ultimately uh, it will be the opportunities that will determine their success.
8: Arizona's overregulated labor market drew public attention in 2017 when it came out that a student barber named Juan Carlos Montes de Oca was being investigated by the state cosmetology board for giving haircuts to homeless vets without a license.
2: The bullies at the state cosmetology board sought to stop him and stall his career because he hadn't yet kissed their ring. And we thought he was just doing a good act for people that were in need, and this was a young person just in the uh, formative years of of their their career. We thought that was the wrong thing to do, and we were very pleasantly surprised by the response that we received from the electorate saying, yes, we don't need this overreach. We don't need this overregulation. The new
8: bill recognizing out-of-state certification recently passed the House and is currently under consideration in the state Senate.
2: We still have to prove it in the marketplace. We still need to get it through both houses of of the legislature.
8: Ducey credits his deregulatory agenda for Arizona's booming economy.
2: We're the fourth fastest growing state in the nation. Maricopa County, where we are here in greater Phoenix, is the number one fastest growing county in America two years running. We're a state that has 70 percent of the adults here were born somewhere other than the state of Arizona. I don't think that there's a better leading indicator in this country than that people pack up a U-Haul truck and say, that's where I want to move to. In the game of states, people vote with their feet, and Arizona's winning.
5: Okay, so I hope you uh, you caught the point there. I'm, I'm amazed at uh, how different some of these governors are. I think the Kentucky governor, I can't remember his name right now, but uh, he's also making some big changes in how they handle, how government handles business. But essentially, uh, between Stossel uh, talking earlier about crony capitalism and Ducey talking, government has got their hands, both hands, in business in a big way. And um, when people are successful in business, they tend to try to protect their gains by getting government to go to work for big business. Like if you're a big contractor— it's not unusual to see big contractors get on the contractor licensing board and then create more and more rules for new contractors, the rookies, to jump, jump through or jump, jump over or, or comply with. So I've often, I, I have a friend who did 22 years in prison and he's, uh, he's in his 40s now. So when he got out of prison, what he knew how to do was gangbang and uh, do drugs, and he went through drug court in Yuba County, and he successfully completed drug court and has remained, I think, pretty clean, and he has six kids and a wife, and he works, and he's a good worker. I've had him work for me. He does landscaping and such, but he never really has got a great job, and uh, it's a problem that he's never had accomplished uh, and, and got a good career. But one career that he did he did have and did know is haircutting, and he learned it in prison. And I always felt like if you cut a, a convict's hair, particularly one that could be violent, that the best uh, endorsement you could have is that you came out alive. In other words, you cut his hair, and he didn't beat you to pulp. So I have never... I've got a lot of haircuts in my life, uh, but I have never... Uh, asked the barber whether he had a license or not and I've got haircuts here and overseas in communist countries and on the streets of Vietnam and I've never I just kind of look and see if the guy looks like he knows what he's doing and then see if I can get in the chair next and so it never really made any difference to me whether there was a a certificate or whether they paid the government money or whether they were forced to go to a cosmetology course and spend five or ten thousand dollars to cut a bunch of guys' hair. And I've always felt like if I needed to make adjustment to my hair, I could make an adjustment myself. I didn't like exactly the if I got home and something was different about it. You know I mean I just so all these barber schools and cosmetology schools, we played a clip years ago where Uh, A gal had come from, I don't know if she came from another country or another state, and I don't know whether it was down in Missouri or somewhere down there. And all she did, what she was great at was was, uh, braiding hair. That's what she did is braid hair. And she didn't cut hair. She didn't color hair. She braided hair. And they wouldn't allow her to braid hair. She was the wife of a pastor down there. And she fought the government, I think it was Mississippi or Missouri, for years and finally won. And they were just a big pain in the butt down there. They had a bad attitude down there. And once she won her case, she opened the door for all kinds of women to make a living at braiding hair all over that state that wanted to go to work, but the government would rather put them on welfare and uh, and just keep them on welfare and keep people out of the cosmetology ranks so the people that were already in the cosmetology ranks could have all the business. But that's not the way this, this uh, country flourished. This country flourished by competition and people coming up with a different way to do things, uh, go about things, and, but what's happened is everything, it's hundreds and hundreds of different ways to do business or to get into business are all licensed today. And I was just talking to somebody, it seemed like the earlier today or yesterday that they had, oh, it was earlier today. And I was asking um, Monty Hecker at Elite Universal Security whether he installed. The you know the video cameras on houses and he said Lou we could sometimes we'd like to but he says I can't do that unless I go back and get a different I got a I got a security uh business license with the state of California in other words he had to prove to the state he had the goods by some arbitrary set of rules that he could do this so that then he pays them to license him Now, that license does not make anyone honest or not a criminal. It does not. Neither does a lack of a background check prevent you from your next-door neighbor being a pedophile, by the way. So that means you better, as the Air Force says, in God we trust, all other people we monitor. So a clean background check does not mean you have a clean gene person. Nor does a a permit from the government make sure that he is a good contractor. All that means is he took a bunch of tests and he had some experience. That's all that means. But he could cheat you. He could put the wrong quality paint on. He could put the wrong quality piping in and all of us all all the and have the certificate and have the number on the site and the name on the side of his truck and just be a total loser contractor. It doesn't mean Jack diddley all this stuff is just government control on making people have all these permits and and essentially to run people out of business so you know, it's interesting when they have these people that that prey on elderly people. They say they preyed on elderly people. They were going in and re-roofed their house, but they didn't really re-roof it. And they claimed they were a contractor and showed them a certificate. Therefore, that's the, that justifies supposedly all this government regulation. It really doesn't. Because contractors can cheat you just the same. In fact, people... All the people that have ever cheated me in my life have always been people that had licenses and were were blessed by the government with certificates, whether they were contractors. I'm talking about when when I've been in business for myself. Didn't pay pay their bills, didn't pay you for the contract. You did the work for them. General contractors, you did the work for them. They didn't pay you. Uh, or car dealerships where you did the work for them. They got a car dealership license. They're big in town here in Yuba Sutter area. They're big, they're well-known, but they, they ripped me off and they had a license and they, they have, they supposedly have a good reputation, but they, they stole, they stole money from me. So these licenses are a bunch of baloney. And so what, what Governor Busey is, uh, Ducey is pointing out at the, in the, uh, in Arizona, is he just? He said, "I'm tired of it," and and we're gonna we're gonna put a stop to it. And uh, and and what they're doing is reviewing what he considers unnecessary regulation. That there, it it's not necessary uh, that people have that, have those kind of certificates. Now, you know, certainly if you you're going to be a doctor, you know, you want people. You know, even even the doctors, you can have a fake, you can have a fraud, but certainly you want doctors that have been through certain standards and and uh, and that type of thing. But that can get overblown, too. At some point, you can make it so difficult to be a doctor. Nobody's going to go through that. Just ridiculous. Right. So we got about about 10 minutes to go. And I'm going to finish with something a little gnarly. So I'm going to try to blast through it. So we have a guy named Pete Buttigieg. B-U-T-T-I-G-I-E-G. I'm just guessing the pronunciation. In America, you can pronounce things any way you want. Spanish, you can't. They got rules. Buttigieg. Uh, He is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He's the latest media golden child running for president. You ever heard of him? When do mayors run for, for president of the United States? The unique thing about him uh, is that he is an Episcopalian homosexual married to a man. And the media just has fallen in love with this guy. So, but it doesn't end there. It's like anybody can run for president, Right. Anybody can be mayor. If you want to be homosexual? Be one. There's always they've always been around. Heterosexuals been around. Homosexuals been around. Bible talks about people having sex with animals. People have sex with all kinds of things. So that's been around, at least, you know, as far as the Bible talks about, you know, God says don't be doing some of that stuff. I don't like I don't like it. Don't be having sex with a sheep. So, and he said, don't be having sex with people of the same kind. So there you, there you have it. But in America, we just try to all get along, right? The Bible says to love everybody. It doesn't say to do everything. It says love people, help people. But it's interesting because uh, this guy lit up uh, President Trump, and he he got caught up with some fake news, and he started to chant some fake news that had been uh, cleared up a long time ago. So you remember earlier in the show, I talked about the fake news saying that, that Trump called anybody coming in the country from the South animals, which he didn't say that. So Buttigieg, he launches on President Trump saying he's, he's not a real Christian because nobody would call illegal immigrants animals well first of all uh i have already spent enough time on that to know that that's either he knew he was lying or uh he's just an idiot so he says uh the writer of this article says i'm reluctant to comment on another person's faith but I would say it is hard to look at this present oh let me back up and say this is what Boudag said about Trump. He said that Buttigieg, again is an Episcopalian, homosexual guy married to another guy. I'm reluctant, he says, to comment on another person's faith. Trump says he has faith in Jesus, right? But he doesn't downgrade other people's faith, like Muslims. But Budigay says, I would say it is hard to look at this president's actions and believe that they're the actions of somebody who believes in God. I just don't understand how you can be as worshipful of your own self as he is and be prepared to humble yourself before God. I've never seen him humble himself before anyone. (laughs) Huh. It's interesting. Then he said of Vice President Pence, my marriage to Chaston, I don't know how to pronounce that. C-H-A-S-T-A-N. Maybe it's Chaston. So this guy's marriage to this other guy. My marriage to Chaston has made me a better man. And yes, Mr. Vice President, it has moved me closer to God. Speaking only for myself, I can tell you that if me being gay was a choice, it was a choice that was by far, far above my pay grade. Now, whether, now, now what he's saying by that is, I had no choice. I'm in a man's body, but I'm—I'm I'm actually a female. That's what he's saying. Now that is a bunch of baloney, right there. No, every all science proves that to be baloney. In fact, they studied all kinds of twins, got the same DNA, and one of them ends up one way, one of them ends up another. That's a problem to this whole theory. And that's the thing I wish the Mike Pent, the Mike Pence's of the world, would understand. If you've got a problem with who I am, my, Mr. Buttigieg says. Your problem is not with me. Your quarrel, sir, is with my creator. Now, that's a real interesting perspective. In other words, God created me this way for a purpose. He created me a guy with guy plumbing, but I really, I want to be with guys. Now, the Bible just says, if you've got lust or you got desires that way to knock it off, don't be doing that, right? It says we have some kind of responsibility right there. It's just like saying if you've got, you got desires for somebody else's wife, that's a problem too. So the Bible doesn't really cut anybody any slack on this sexual behavior stuff. It just says, listen, behave yourself sexually. And it doesn't get extra hard on homosexuals or people that want to have sex with, I think, bestiality. Bestiality doesn't get harder on that. It says people ought to behave themselves sexually. And it gets into f- detail if you want to read about it. It's all there. Been there for a lot of years. So this guy says, uh, he says, it's something that frustrates me because the hypocrisy is unbelievable, the writer says. Here you have somebody that not only acts in a way that's not consistent with anything I hear in Scripture. He's talking about Buttigieg or church, where it is about lifting up the least among us and and taking care of the strangers. Anyway, actually, this is Buttigieg talking again. He's, he's trying to say that Trump doesn't follow Jesus, right? So Nick Nolte, who writes for Breitbart, I'm finally getting it right here. Here's, here's his deal, and I'm going to land the plane. We've got three minutes. He said, here's the thought. When you're living a life in open defiance to God, you might not want to attack the faith of others. So my, I feel that way, too. Hey, if you want to have sex with a sheep, a goat, uh, a horse— a donkey, or you want to have sex with three men, or two men and a woman at the same time, it's it's up to you. It, it's your boat. See if you can float it. But to go out and start lecturing everybody on their lives, uh, tone it down a tad, right? So Nolte says about Buttigieg, And he says, and his rationale for the defiance against God might be the dumbest thing a presidential candidate has ever said about Christianity. If you've got a problem with who I am, your problem is not with me. Your quarrel sir, is with my creator. First off, he said, picking a fight with Mike Pence, a man who has been beyond tolerant of homosexuals, is bad. Secondly, Buttigieg is blaming God from his openly gay lifestyle, which is, remember, I didn't start this debate, an act of outright blasphemy. Next, we are all burdened by a temptation to sin, gay, straight, whatever. Believe it or not, the biblical bar for sexuality is extremely high for everyone, for all of us. Homosexuals are not unique in this regard, which means they are not given a special pass to give in to temptation. Defending your sin with a God-made-me-this-way argument is at best childish. You see, God expects us to do our best to control temptation when we fall short, and we all do. We are then expected to repent, to experience regret, to chastise ourselves to do better the next time, not run around like spoiled brat yelling, God made me this way. God puts all this temptation in my way. This is like spirituality 1A. So here's a guy lecturing others about Christianity when he doesn't even understand the basics of the faith, when he supports the infanticide of abortion, that means killing babies in the womb or on their way out, which violates nothing less than the Sixth Commandment. Listen, he says, as a practicing Christian and Catholic, I'm quite comfortable with my support of Trump, a wild, imperfect human being just like myself. But for all his flaws, like Buttigieg, I do not see Trump attacking the faith of others. I do not see Trump advocating for the murder of the unborn. I do not see Trump running around like an intolerant theocrat with purity tests. And I certainly do not see Trump falling for fake news that was debunked over a year ago. That was the deal about calling all immigrants animals. So uh, that's going to do it for us for today. And uh, I'll thank you for listening. And if you want to, you can connect with Greenest Construction, Plumbing Doctor, and Elite Universal Security for your various needs out there. So, we will try to get this up here in the next couple of days and hopefully have it up by Saturday so you can listen to it whenever you want. And hopefully, all the app people will all be happy with us and you'll be able to get it on iTunes in the next week or so, all that stuff. So, thanks for listening and we will catch you later. I hope you all enjoy the show and remember, people, that no matter who you
0: are,